Unclick Podcast. We are here. It has been like two months yep. since we filmed the podcast, so I apologize to everybody, but you know, life, times, things happen. So things but we happen. have the one and only Jamie Beswick. Yep. X Games Silver Medalist. Um yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Been there, done that. <laughs> Wasn't that a great day? Yeah, that was, that was. What <laughs> yeah. uh like nine time, ten time gold? What is it? Thirteen. 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 Yeah. 13. That's fucking insane. Yeah. Yeah. Bit bit of a journey from the bronze medal in Providence, Rhode See, Island. But also uh Baja champion. Oof. T V announcer. No. Enduro <laughs> Enduro racer, gravel bicycle yeah, riding gravel long bicycle. distance champion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Olympic cha- Olympic champion. Co- <laughs> Olympic coach. Uh coffee. Uh, company coffee shop owner Rob Rock Coffee, uh, which I had someone I went to Woodward East. I went to Woodward East for the first time a few months ago, and like uh, really good coffee. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guys do an awesome job. Yeah, yeah. And what else? Father, husband. Yeah. Northern um, Englishman. Midlands, Midlands, middle of England, Derbyshire originally. Okay. Um, what else we got going on? Uh, that, po- I mean, podcaster? Mean, podcaster. Podca- I'm, I've been on a couple podcasts lately. So, okay. Oh, nice. um, Who, what other podcasts? Uh, Payson McClevens, The Adventure Stash. He's a, you know, incredibly talented uh, mountain bike racer, gravel bike racer. And uh, he does this podcast called The Adventure Stash. Okay. Adventure Stash. Because of his big mustache. Okay. Uh, and I went on and it was just talking about, you know, was it? riding long distance gravel events and stuff like that. What's that like? Riding a long distance gravel event? Yeah. <laughs> I honestly, I mean, like, <laughs> it's a pretty interesting thing. I, I get, I get it, right. but I don't get it at the same time. Um, well, right. The, the thing with the long distance stuff is it, it's kind of one of those bucket lists. You know how people are like... I'm a dentist and I need to go climb Kathmandu, mm-hmm. you know, gotcha. um, or I've got to go climb Everest. You know, it's the bucket list thing. And, you know, with endurance cycling, it's just it, it's a journey. It literally is a journey from the start line to the finish. What you encounter throughout the miles is, you know, kind of discovery of, you know, your own body and mind. Um, you're always discovering new terrain along the way and, you know, you're also just enjoying the miles for as much as your body and your mind will allow you to. And, you know, that's what I've found with it all. It, it's, uh, it's, it's a day out. It's a trip. It is. I, I've learned so much about myself since doing these things than, you know, uh, that I care to remember in BMX. Like BMX, I'm just all about the moment. I'm having fun. And yeah, you know, I'm learning things along the way, but BMX is so fast-paced and, you know, it it can either be violent or it can be the most smooth, you know, uh, form of riding a bike you've ever ever done. But, you know, gravel racing all day long gives you time to reflect, Hmm. you know. And there'll be moments throughout the day where you're having to really look inside yourself in order to make it to you know the next aid station or another mile or to the finish yeah 
Well, I mean, um, that makes sense in so many different ways because I feel like, you know, X Games vert competition is 45 seconds. The, the entire contest in total is approximately like... An hour. Yeah. And and where, you know, that stuff is all day and your where your mind must go in those moments is has to be insane because you probably don't think about anything when you drop in for your X Games run. Uh, probably, I mean, I would assume it mostly goes a, a little blank where you're like not thinking about uh, what happened afterwards. Is that? Yeah, writing. I mean, writing vert contests for me, you know, it, it used to be about, <clears throat> you know, wanting to go in there and almost like you want to show off. You mm-hmm. know, in the beginning of BMX, every kid gets a BMX bike because they want to show off to them friends and they want to, you know, show off their new tricks. I got a new T-shirt. Mm-hmm. I got a new hat. I got a new helmet. I got a new this, that. I got new tires for my bike. So you're always showing off. And initially, BMX competitions were there are former showing off. You know, you you just want to go out, have fun with your friends, and see what you could do. And you know, as you continue through, you know, a competitive life, you you you're just constantly looking for the next phase of how to make an impression. Um, mm-hmm. And, and and with BMX being all about creativity, it's what have you got to show? You know, like you know, all those hours that you spend, you know, in your head and, and, and looking at, at other people's riding and trying to create something of your own and, and, and leave your own legacy on the sport. It's all in preparation for the moment that you get to show it all off, ah. you know. And when I ride in for Vert, you know, there's been many years where nerves and looking too far ahead and, the, you know, not meeting those goals and, and, and maybe being a bit disappointed, a bit too nervous, achieving success, achieving failure and learning across the way, you know, ultimately changed when, you know, you, you start to remember why you actually got into this in the first place. Mm-hmm. And you actually take the time to really understand yourself and to understand what not only what you're trying to achieve in your own BMX life, but also what you're trying to achieve at that moment. And a 30 to 40 second or even a minute vert run, you're, you, know, you, you find yourself going from a nervous ball of energy riding in to a very focused and almost thankful for this opportunity to ride in and show everybody what you can do for mm-hmm. their allotted time. And that's, you know, what I've experienced throughout the years is just a shift in, okay, show me what you got, yeah. you know? Like, hey, you can wheelie, you can do a wheelie over 10 car park spaces. I got 11. <laughs> I got 11. Yeah, Check yeah. me out. And I got new tires yeah. and I got a new hat. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so it's, I think that, you know, to me, if I, if I was to really just put a word around BMX, it's all about showing off. Yeah. Yeah. While riding um, Vert in the contest and stuff, at any time did you ever feel intimidated before dropping in, not just by the nerves, but by the competitors? <laughs> You ride against Dave Merrin, Jay Merron, and Matt Hoffman. You shit yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. I mean, yeah. Those guys were just a different level. A presence, I'm sure. Oh, larger than life. Yeah. 
you know, the aura that Dave Mirror used to carry with him was as if a Roman emperor had just walked in with his bags and his full-face helmet, and here we are, Dave Mirror, and there's Matt Hoffman, the, the mythical legend of BMX, you know, carved from the stone of the gods <laughs> <laughs> and built to last, you know, bones that never break. And, you know, the, 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 the tricks that he used to bring to the table, you know, you were just excited to see him ride more than you were excited to ride in yourself yeah. at times. And then, you know, Jay Meron, you know, now he lives... Uh, the life of a humble craftsman, yeah, craftsman yeah. Uh, making furniture mm-hmm. in uh, Thunder Bay, Canada. But before, he was an absolute lunatic <laughs> and a shit to deal with and just an absolute wild man on the ramp. And he was a different kind of energy. You know, he was a mixed bag. Yeah. Like, Probably just never knew what you were going to get. Oh, really. no, you never knew which Jay was going to turn up on no. the day. But... You were thankful for any Jay that turned up on the day because you knew it was always going to be fireworks. So, so how do you, how do you explain how somebody like you, where you know you're competitive and you've transferred that into to other aspects of your life, via the the gravel racing and the and Baja and stuff like that, and even you know partially being an Olympic coach, that is a transfer of that competitiveness. Where Jay is messing with the chisel on a chair for two months straight and you know like do you think that's him being competitive with himself like how does you know i always i call something like champion syndrome where like these people uh you know the friends of mine and and peers and stuff like that they're so good at something and it gives them all this reward and then after when it fades or it becomes less interesting they look for that next thing and how does how do you explain what jay found and how Jay went out in the sense of, like, I'm done. Everybody has a tipping point, mm-hmm. you know. And Jay was just taking BMX and his BMX company to, to different levels. You know, that one of the last uh, edits that I saw from, from McNeil, the, the Jay Merrill one, just out of control. Mm-hmm. You know, his street riding has always been amazing. His park riding, his vert riding. He, the guy can ride absolutely anything. And he was fearless. And he took some big crashes and he didn't mind getting up from them and, and you know, powering straight through. And I think that is a lasting impression that he's always had on BMX is that, you know, his drive and his passion to get up and compete against all the odds and, and kind of prove people wrong and, 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 you know, go for the biggest and gnarliest tricks out there. You know, that is that that his career on a BMX will always stand the test of time. Nobody can dispute what he did on a BMX. And I don't think and I might be completely wrong, and I think Jay is the best person to answer this, but from an from an outside point of view, did he take the competitive element into something else? Or did he take the creative element of what he was so, so good at doing mm-hmm. into something that he felt that he could make a, a lasting impression on as well. And yeah. he he has a very good eye. And much like in his BMX riding, you know, he some of the technical lip tricks that Jay used to do, you you, you had to be creative. Mm-hmm. You you had to be fearless, bold, you know, have a lot of courage. And when you're working with 
expensive wood and long hours and and discipline all that time on a bmx that he he put into riding and 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 the discipline and the, the courage that he had you can see that in in the works of art that he produces for people throughout his uh with his woodworking skills and and kudos to jay you know he went the right way he he trained himself and and the interviews that i've read online of the things he's done in preparation to become the person he is now within the woodworking world it's much like his bmx hmm. you know he didn't he just didn't just start hacking away at wood he went and put himself with the very best teachers that he could uh, and to be inspired by them and now he's you know inspiring others yeah. and the things he is creating are as visually as spectacular as the riding that he did on his BMX bike. Yeah. Well, well yeah. said. And I knew yeah. I felt like from your perspective that you could, you know, shine yeah. some light on that. You Definitely know, agree. The, yeah. yeah they, what? Who was your greatest competitor on the deck that you? I, I mean, it's Dave. Dave. Yeah, Dave Mera was anybody's greatest competitor. He was the one that. I wouldn't say he was the career ender, but he definitely was the one that if you had aspirations to become a dominant athlete in the genre of BMX Park or BMX Vert, Dave was the guy to say no. He was the gatekeeper. Yeah. You want to win this contest? Come through me. Gotta go through Dave. You know? Yeah, yeah I, I I hold all the keys. So Dave was the 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 biggest competitor because you weren't just riding to see who was the best at BMX. Essentially, you were, but there was more to it than that. Mm -hmm. Dave was a fierce outside of BMX trainer. He, his his fitness level was off the charts. And he was one of the first to really bring that to the yeah, competitive level, right? He was. And it inspired so many people to do the same. But when you're going against the Michael Jordan of BMX, you got to put some long hours in. Yeah. You've got to be prepared to eat the right foods. You've got to be prepared to cut the party and out, drink the water, lift the weights, run the miles. Then, on top of all that, ride your bike. Mm -hmm. When you're absolutely burnt out and you, you know, you've, you've got nothing left in the tank, you got to get on your bike. you got to be pushing the envelope and you got to be creative and guess what you can't do any of his tricks because you can't do them anywhere near as good as dave mirror you got to come up with your own mm -hmm. and i think that's where he always had people was you know they're trying to emulate the stuff that he was doing but can you do a no-handed five as good as dave mirror mm, yeah it's not gonna happen Pick you, literally a, a no-handed five on mirror you could have a still silhouette and you would know it was Mira. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. It, of it, course. It's such a, it, it is, it yeah. was his style. Yeah, you know, it was like the reason why I inspired, like, to, to even compete in X Games. Like, I always wanted to as a kid, and I remember writing it down. And, like, um, as I got older, then when that time did come, it was like, wow. Like, thinking about it, because yeah. I remember watching the X Games when you wrote the gold bike, you yeah. know, everything. So, it's like, hearing that, it's like, that's so true. It, it really is. So, yeah. yeah. He... To compete against Dave Mirror, like I said, you... Oh, cat incoming. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Tune in next week, folks, yeah. and we'll See have a dog on the next. table. <laughs>
Yeah, when you when you rode against Dave, you you were just riding against so many different elements. I mean, you know, to go to any contest, then the Dave Murr effect was in full effect. You know, if you thought you were doing well that day and the crowd cheered for you, wait till they call Mirror's name out. Yeah, it was like Patriots win the Super Bowl, or you know, the Chargers win the Super Bowl. The place went through the they're roof. Not, they're not in San Diego anymore. Oh, they're not? No. I mean, that really <laughs> shows how much I know about American football. Uh, that's pretty much but, all I know about football as well. Yeah, so. but, you know, you kind of get where I'm going with it. The the X Games, the the roof would blow off because the, the level of noise that would come out for Dave was incredible. He, he would show up and he'd always have the best gear on. He'd have a brand new bike. His helmet was just a glitter ball of the most beautiful array of sponsors and Slim Jim, Club Med, Mm -hmm. and, you know, everything to do with him. You just felt that you were never on a a level playing field. Yeah, you thought you were killing it, and then you you show up. Yeah, you look at your your kit, and you're like, ah, maybe I should have. You know, he's probably the only one on the vert ramp that was wearing cologne. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, oh my gosh, I've got Axe on today. Dave rocks up with like Gucci, potpourri of beautiful man cologne. Um, But he was tough, and even when. Even when you beat him and you thought, I got him. See it then X one. He mm. would come it, it it was just it was mind blowing how he would come back in a stronger in a short space of time. I can remember winning the X Games in two thousand and that was a tough loss for Dave. That was a tough loss for Dave. Uh but I had to go above and beyond the, the call of my own riding in order to beat him. I had to bring something brand new to mm-hmm. the table. The contest finished for that year, or maybe I went to some contests and, and rounded out the year, and Dave just went into hiding, um, which meant he built a resi and built a big vert ramp and went to work. And we all showed up in Jacksonville, Florida at the Kona Skate Park for the CFB that year. And I came into there red hot. I'm like, right, Dave, the changing of the guard has happened. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Get ready. I've got mad lip tricks. Uh, I've got all these new air variations. I'm flaring better. I've just got better flow, everything about it. I am now the complete package. I'm the Dave Mirror Killer. <laughs> all right, so when I was in, I think I got third at that contest, I was thinking, well, that plan didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I proceeded to sit in the corner, and I all but stuck my so- thumb in my mouth, and, and I was like this, like... Christ, I'm getting absolutely murdered here. <laughs> I was like, what is he doing? And he went away and, and worked harder than I did. He just went in the cave. He just, yeah, yeah. He, he went in the pain cave. And, and what he came out with, I was like, where's he got these tricks from? All brand new. Nobody's ever seen anything like it before. His flares had gone from these ropey, loop the back wheel out, do the old mirror head thing, land exactly in the same spot on the back wheel where you took off from, mm-hmm. grab a fistful of brake, hopefully it doesn't loop out, and then pop it down and then do a signature Dave Mirror tail whip or a no-hander or a bar spin. Um, 
now Dave Mirror's sleds were like eight, nine feet, and they were just carving things of beauty. And wow. his tail whips have got better, and his tail whip variations were now insane. No foot can can tail yeah. whips and uh, whip, whip to bars, all that stuff. Was Dave the first to kind of really start carving them like that? Or was that. Uh, I don't no. really know where it came from. No, that. Because like the modern day, you know, the the original flare is that the jackknife, essentially what you're yeah, looking straight up style, down, yeah, like, straight yeah. up flip drop, down. flip turn, yeah, 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 literally flip air, basically, yeah. and then and then you know the modern day one is this carving, you know, kind of off access. I think that is something that we were doing up at Woodward. Okay, we'd start carving flares because the ramps were obviously bigger, yeah. and <clears throat> obviously when you're going onto the resi all the time, you do tend to carve. Uh, oh, so it, it, it kind of moved across onto the vert ramp. I know Kevin, yeah. uh, he was doing carving flares too. And then obviously Chad and everybody else followed suit. But then when Dave came with his flare, it was just different. Mm-hmm. It was way different to ours. And it was more, it was a better way of doing a higher flare because the way he did them, you could do them eight, nine feet out, mm-hmm. no problem. The way I always did them, I always, you know, like the flip air, took off on the bike wheel, caught with the bike wheel. Um, I always felt it straightened me out too much, but Dave's, all of a sudden, he's doing these, like, tucked in, you know, like, big flares like this, and I never really saw him do many things other than maybe a turn down and a flare whip. Mm-hmm. Um but he didn't need to because he was doing like 14 foot airs into flares over channels. Yeah. Wow. And all of a sudden we're like, okay, now this is a problem. He was always in like a really tight <clears throat> ball too. I he was. Like, yeah. He was. And it just looked great. Yeah. You know, you look at any photos from early 2000 contests. So, you know, Anaheim, the the ESPN competition, first one of the year, I think it was B3 or uh, X Trials, wh- whichever it was. There were pictures of him uh, for AT&T and stuff like that and big flares just coming in different style just looked awesome I think Mavro posted some footage from that contest up on his YouTube and the way he was doing flares over the channel I mean it was like he was flipping a 40 foot set doubles yeah. at the trails yeah. it was just so so smooth so when put put together the timeline for me because when you first started coming and you rode your first x games and your first contest uh, like major contest against mira i think you said you had you know high hopes and then it took like three years or something for you to beat mira uh came in 96 or came in 95 First American contest I went to was uh, smiling uh, already. Uh, uh, yeah, this, <laughs> this, this was a random one. All right, so uh, flew into Austin, uh, drove seventeen hours in a Pontiac Pontiac Trans Am, and if you come from England and somebody shoves five people in a Pontiac Trans Am, that's as good as it gets. That's like winning the lottery for an Englishman. Like every American program you've ever seen in your entire life in England, uh, if you're put in a Pontiac Trans Am and you're road tripping to Florida with John Newell, Spooky Dave, Greg uh, Greg Tate, all these Austin locals, like that's as good as it gets. Get to the last, be- last uh, bicycle stunts contest before it went to ESPN. Mm-hmm. And ride out there obviously it was the uh standard crew with we are 138 every five minutes 
<laughs> when anybody took a run at that competition. But yeah, that was my first experience of, of coming out here. And obviously, you know, that contest was notorious with a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of crazy riding, um, a lot of post BMX craziness. Mm-hmm. Um, first time I got to get in a car with Ron Wilkerson and he was doing 180 burnouts in the middle of a, a kind of <laughs> two-lane Florida street, which completely freaked me out, but I was like, just go with it. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Don't be uncool. Don't yeah, be don't uncool. Be, it's Ron Wilkerson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. he's a legend. Everything's good. And uh, getting to ride my first US contest, um, that was awesome too. And, you know, go to... Go to 96 and Providence, Rhode Island. That was the first X Games. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it was just amazing. You know, coming out the train station in Providence, Rhode Island, walking around the corner and seeing the dirt jumps. And one of the first people you saw hit the dirt jumps was Robbie Morales mm-hmm. and Brian Foster. It was, yeah, it was, I mean, that's as good as it gets. Yeah. That's as good as it gets. And then riding the vert ramp and just being a kid from England who people knew of me and people had, <clears throat> you know, kind of experienced riding against me. And to suddenly be at the X Games, be in the lead, I think I have to run one, which is mental. Uh, it, it was just a, an incredible experience. And getting the bronze medal there was... I wouldn't say it was like I've arrived. Mm -hmm. It was more like there's a possibility that your dream of riding a bike full time could actually happen. Um, Because I was working a regular job. Yeah. Uh, I was working 40 hours a week. And you were a mechanic of some sort? No, I used to work in the aerospace industry. So we work, I worked for a company that uh, refurbished engine blades okay so we'd evaluate them repair them send them back to the customer i was the last person to check them um in order for them to be worthy and put in the plane so i had a responsible job <clears throat> however a, my a career i would assume yeah uh, i didn't look at it like a career it was just a job it's just a means to an end I, I wanted to be a bmx rider yeah and i rode bmx for five times a week in order to get to the skate park, which was an hour and 20 minutes from where I worked, I needed gas money. So work a job, pays for the car, pays for the gas, mm. pays for my bills. Happy days. A means to the bike. A yeah. means to the bike. So when I left Providence, Rhode Island with a, a bronze medal, I just saw that this is a real opportunity to be able to fulfill my dream of riding BMX full time. Yeah. <clears throat> and then from there... We, I went to a few X Games. Um, I got picked up by GT. And obviously, the first few years with GT didn't kind of go so well. Um, it was the famous Woody Itson flipping the judges off incident at uh, at the X Games in 1998, <laughs> where he got ejected from the X Games. That was a... That was an interesting day out at the races. <laughs> when the team I don't know, ma- when I don't team know that. Manager, I don't know that story. Oh at all. man, when you t- when when you put a run together 
And hey, you know what? Everybody's biased. I'm sure all team managers are biased. Yeah. You know, they're all like, oh, my guy wrote the best. What are you guys <laughs> looking at? Well, that moment happened. Um, and we're at the X Games and I'm just sat there and I'm thinking already like, well, you know, not many people really think I'm like, you know, the shit anyway. So, you know, just English guy, terrible sense of humor, comes over here, starts riding. Um and then he's got a team manager who is an absolute legend within BMX, mm-hmm. um, but he's very vocal uh, and chose to be very vocal that day. And when the score for my run, and I did a good run, I, I did a good run, to be fair. Uh, when that score didn't come in and it didn't satisfy Woody, mm-hmm. he turned around and just went mental at the judges, <laughs> you know, F-bombing, <laughs> flipping people wow. off. And, uh, of course, Matt and all the guys just got quite angry. Oh, yeah. And they had him ejected from from the X Games. And I felt felt bad because... I felt bad for Woody because, you know, everybody has a right to an opinion. It's just there's a time and a place to do it, and there's no need to be that animated. Um, But, you know, essentially... I appreciate him fighting for me, you know, and saying, hey, th- th- this kid rode better than you, the score that you gave him. Uh, and, and I think in this day and age, that's acceptable to do. Yeah. You know, well, probably without my, the middle finger. Without the middle finger yeah. and the gestures. Yeah. Um, but uh, I felt like the next couple of years were, were, were quite rough because I felt like I was still being penalized for things that had happened. Right. Go to 99 <clears throat> and. Turned up in San Francisco, riding absolutely amazing. Me and the bike uh, 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 in one. Felt like I could give Dave and Matt and Jay a real run for their money. Uh, 35 seconds into run one, looped out on a frame stand ice pick grind and got a semi-concussion. And I was like, this is absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Uh, however, that night was basically the determining factor for me actually getting to grips with what I really wanted out of BMX. That crash uh, put me in a state of mind where I took all my pads, all my gear off, everything. I knew there was a six or seven mile bike ride back to the hotel. I gave uh, I gave the bike to the TM which I think was Woody at the time, um, I said, I'm going to ride back to the hotel. And he said, why? It's like seven, eight miles. It's going to take you an hour or so. I was like, I don't care. I, I just need to go. So off I went. I rode the miles. And it just gave me time to, to stop and reflect on how much I was actually blowing this opportunity. Like for all my life, I'd wanted to be a BMX pro. Mm-hmm. It's all I ever dreamed about. Ever since I watched BMX Bandits, ever since American magazines started arriving in the newsagents of uh, of the UK, you know, um, those images, those crystal clear blue skies, those amazing tricks, those uniforms, those bikes, it was all I ever dreamed of. And it was all I, you know, could think about was just to become a, a BMX pro. And I was blowing it. Big time. I was wasting everybody's time, my own included. You just don't think you were taking it serious enough or working hard enough? or 
everything. Yeah. Everything came into question, you know, because I had sat on a field and wrote a list of pros and cons down to why I should quit my job and move to America and become a BMX pro. And I was just throwing everything down the drain. Everything I'd worked hard for years for back in England, everything that I dreamt about at the desk, um, I was throwing it away. So I went from there and I went to Woodward Camp. That's how I ended up at Woodward Camp. Um, And I went to Woodward Camp and I rode there for three weeks. No, I rode there for two weeks. And the next contest after was... uh, a B3 in Oceanside, California. So was there a mental shift between San Fran, Woodward, and, and Oceanside? Like what what changed you mentally from that, from that point? I don't want this to keep happening. Yeah. It can't. You know, I just, I'd sacrificed so much and I felt that in England, I'd, I'd, I grew up at one of the best times in BMX. Mm-hmm. And the people I rode with in England, the, the UK BFA, which was the uh, uh, governing body in England, um, the people that helped me get to contests, the people that were my team managers, so Roy and Diane Winfield, uh, Jeff and Jenny Catlow, uh, Roger, Roger Atkins, all these people that helped uh with the infrastructure of of the uk bmx freestyle scene and then the you know then there was all the riders that i grew up riding with not only my friends that came and went from bmx but there was also the best riders in england at the time who inspired me to be better uh there was riders that i rode with week in week out and there was riders that i would see month in month out at different events there were the contest promoters like Stu Dawkins and Ian Morris, and they put on the backyard jams. And there was the guys that, you know, were pushing me at those contests to 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 really, you know, strengthen my riding and get more creative and 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 to be a, a better rider. And and I felt like I'd been given the opportunity to stand on the shoulders of giants, mm-hmm. the English giants of BMX, and. I wasn't, I was doing a disservice to it. I was letting all those people down because they looked as, you know, whether they, you know, knew this or not, but they looked at me as the person that can take the UK BMX freestyle scene, or maybe that was my perception of of their view, but to take the UK BMX freestyle scene and go conquer America, Mm -hmm. go be that guy. And there were other guys, you know, that that came across America too. But I always felt that I was doing a disservice to my community within the UK BMX and and its rich history and and everybody who'd ever progressed and and, and learned a new trick and and passed it on or a new bike part or anything like that or done anything for BMX in the UK, I felt like I was letting them down. And that night when I rode home, I... You know, I had to make some hard decisions and I knew I had to knuckle down and I knew in order to get to where I wanted to go, I couldn't let any of those people down because not only had they sacrificed things in their own life for the enjoyment of 
their time in BMX, but they'd also sacrifice things so I could be a better rider. Yeah. And I, I couldn't let that slide. So. How, how old were you at this time? That particular time, whenever you were riding back from the Clintus? Like 28. 28. 28. So I've been around. Yeah. So I've been around for yeah. a while. I mean, I picked up a bike when I was 10 years old. So, you know, I've, I've been around for a while. But it, it takes something as as harsh as the lesson that I learned that night, crashing when I thought I had a chance. Um, to to actually make you fully understand um, how much you weren't sacrificing and how much that reflected on the people that sacrificed before you. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't live with that. That's, I, a, that's a life lesson for people because it really, because you get to a place and then sometimes you forget about all the people that, helped you get there and yeah you, and you and the weight isn't there and it's like yeah you're kind of taking it for granted you know and not that not you specifically but like people yeah in general you come you across know? that like, moment. there's a lot of yeah. sacrifices that your parents made that friends made that peers made and the mentors made to to get you to a point and it's, like, yeah, and it's cool to hear that. too that you were able to you know find that within yourself after the crash because like um you know when but anything in life you have to take it down or, or slam with whether that's whatever job you do or whatever it is you're trying to achieve. You have to take a big loss to hopefully on that first time to realize, like, all right, I need to go. I need to put way more effort. Um, I need to stop holding back or to make certain adjustments. And sometimes it is. It can seem pretty hard. or You may not figure that out till you know, you're way older. But hearing it at, you know, you're 28, like, think about, like, if – when I was 28 and thinking about if I, when I was 18, things I would have done differently, yeah. but it's supposed to, it, it seemed that it was supposed to work that way. And you had that moment with yourself and you were able to gather yourself and like take on that by yourself to really self-evaluate, well, self audit yourself to put yourself in the right state of mind, like look at all the things around you to um, try to make a proper impact and add more value to what you're doing. So like hearing that, it's like, all right, that's, yeah, that's pretty sick. Man. Yeah, it's interesting what you're saying about, you know, these days people don't see the value of the efforts that people have made before them, you know, before them. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they feel like, I hear it all the time, self-made. Yeah. Bullshit, you're self-made. Yeah, Nobody's no. self-made. No. Well, you pop out the oven on your own, didn't you? <laughs> selfish made. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. selfish made. Yeah, and, and that's that's really interesting and and... The majority of the time, when when you're on the when when you're asking for help and you're looking for that helping hand, we're a we, we're always a we. Mm-hmm. We're strength in numbers. Mm-hmm. When you achieve the success, the we becomes an I. Mm. And that set, that success has ultimately just defined you, who you are. Mm-hmm. And it, and it, the hidden agenda was there all along. It was, it was all singular. I did it on my own. Oh mm-hmm. my god! No. I, 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 I just put six months worth of work with a bunch of guys, and they taught me everything. And, and we did I this, did this, it. this. And guess what? I did it. <laughs> I did it. 
I, I, I conquered all my fears. I, I conquered this trick. I conquered that trick. And uh, 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 break check. Hello. Yeah. Um, what? We were a we. <laughs> yeah. And, and then you became an I. Yeah. It's like you know, is that just? Is that just something that naive people do, or is it just immature? I think it is an age thing. Because or it I think could you be wanna... too that some some people will probably feel like whenever they, you know, they say lonely at the top. It's like whenever you get to a certain point, you kind of feel like other people don't understand you. When yeah. it's like, no, there's just you in your own well, head. A, because... That is a, that is a topic for you as well. Of course, I don't I don't want to stray too far from the original thing, but um, you know, eventually you do get to the top. You know, you get to you get to beat Mira in two thousand. Was that the was that kind of the the end? No, of, no, was it end of ninety nine? Oh, end of ninety nine. Okay, yeah. So after I went to Woodward for a couple of weeks, and I have to tell this story because this one's an absolute classic. Mm-hmm. Makes me laugh every time. I, you know, if I get the opportunity, I tell people all the time. Um, I went to Woodward for a few weeks came from Woodward to Oceanside. And it's the one where Jay, uh, the guy Jay, jumped the stairs. Yes, I was there. I was there. Yeah. Yes. And he did. Jason somebody. Culver. Yeah, Jason Culver. That's yeah. That's the fucking no the enci- encyclopedia <laughs> of information. No, no pads, Jason no Culver. Nothing. Yeah, he would jump over. He was San Diego local. He would jump over fences at every, every single park that existed back there. Mm-hmm. Jason jumped over it, oh, and yeah. he was that that dude. And yeah, that is a legendary sequence. Yes, it yes. is. Yeah, yes. and it, he's still around. Is. If you look him up on Instagram, he's still out there. Congrats, congrats yeah. for making it yeah. that far, Jason. Yeah. I'm, uh, Fuck yeah, 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 inspiring. But um, I went to that contest and rode the final against Dave Mirror, and. I, and that stair set's still there for anybody that wants to. I'm you know. not going <laughs> to bother. <laughs> I actually went there with Trey. Uh, fuck. Had to be like you seven, jump seven years ago. I was thinking about no hander and into it. And I was like, we walked away that from thing it. That thing is but, gnarly. But yeah, yeah. It's a big stair set. Yeah. So, sorry, go ahead. No, so I qualified in first at this contest. And uh, um, I was riding amazing. Probably the best I've ever ridden in a long time. Super dialed after being at Woodward. And in the second run, uh, Dave snapped his crank arm at the 30-second mark. This was when we you had a one-minute run. Yeah. And he proceeded to do, you know, the, the usual day mirror shit, you know. Um, he, uh, he rode on one crank arm, and he milled around the coping. I think he might have... M- done something i don't know he yeah. had his foot tucked in there you know kind of like what how the new school kids jam their <laughs> foot on their crank arm but he really didn't complete the run yeah and i was like this is it this the, the door is wide open go went in put a killer run together and where they're calling all the names out third place i can't remember who it was and then second place jamie Beswick. And I looked, and everybody looked at me, and they were like, what? And I just started laughing. And I just went, thanks, guys. Walked up, got the second place trophy, and I was like, perfect. Really? Absolutely perfect. And and this was when both runs counted. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. So um, Dave goes up there 
uh, I don't know, you know, I, I, yeah. you got me best, Rick, and all this stuff. And they said, hey, uh, you know, hey, give, give me that second place trophy. And I said, well, you give me the first place check too then. Yeah. And he was like, oh, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good like, fucking story. I was like, well, okay then. I was like, I'll see you at the next one, I guess. <laughs> so I went home and just put another three worths three weeks worth of work in before we went to the inaugural gravity games in providence rhode mm, island yeah and um of course in qualifying dave his bike breaks in his second run thankfully his brother tim his bike was on top of the ramp as a backup so dave's bike breaks two runs countered okay Dave's bike breaks in his second qualifying run. He ditches the bike, grabs his brothers, goes in there, and I'm pretty sure his run lasted a minute and a half because mm-hmm. it's Dave Murray, and everybody yeah. loves Dave Murray's club yeah. mad and sparkly <laughs> helmet. He's got such nice teeth. He's a beautiful dude. Anyway, he's got milk. And, um, <laughs> and so he does this run on his brother's bike, and... Uh, that sack of shit rolls in in first place. And I'm like, you got, what have I got to do to cop a break here? I'm like, come on. The guy could like, the wheels could fall off his bike and yeah. he could, you know, still fanny around in the flat bottom and still win. So anyway, I came back the next night and um, as I was walking to, um, as, I, as I was walking to the vert ramp, um, I can't remember who it was, but there was um, there was a judge uh, at the time and he doesn't he doesn't judge anymore and as I was walking to the vert ramp he was like good luck tonight Jamie and I said yeah thank you appreciate that and he goes don't do any lip tricks I looked at him I'm like this guy mm-hmm. don't do any lip tricks lip tricks are mandatory in a one minute vert run I'm like who's got that kind of endurance I sat there and I thought about it and I was watching practice and I was like, don't do any lip tricks. I was like, hmm, what's going to happen if I don't do any lip tricks? So I went out there and put two minutes worth of airs together and I nearly blew a lung. Yeah. <laughs> I nearly blew a valve. And uh, I was just doing stuff that was way out of my depth. I mean, it. I, I did tail whips opposite to the way I aired and for some reason... I went full gas into an uh, an opposite air tail whip, and I looked down, and I could see the top of the cameraman's head, and I'm like, I am way too high. <laughs> I am way too freaking high. I'm like, shit. But I hung on, and I did two one-minute runs without lip tricks. I think I might have done, like, an yeah, ice, yeah, ice yeah. pick at the end or something. Skip when, the frame when, stand ice, though. N- non, nothing at all. No, yeah. it's all in the air. That was a reference to the concussion. Yeah, no, yeah. That, that was a bad day. Yeah. Um, but life-changing day, too. Yeah. Um, and then I remember getting down off the ramp and I remember seeing Dave up on top of the ramp and he was like, shit. <laughs> and, and it's the first time I'd ever noticed him panic. Yeah. And I was like, oh I my, did good. I'm, oh my God. Dave, <laughs> Dave Mirrors, like he stumped. And you always knew when Dave Mirror was kind of in a bind because DMC would be right there. He'd yeah. always, the, you know, Dennis would be right there. I don't know, Dave. You know, back in 88 at the AFA Masters, you know, I came across the same situation and I needed one point to beat R.L. Osborne for the win and blah, blah, blah. You know, like, he was there chirping in Dave's ear and I was like, oh, 
Christ, this is this is bad. Yeah. Like this is bad for Dave. He doesn't for the first time I think he didn't know what to do. Yeah. And he went out there and royally blew it. And I was like, This is awesome. <laughs> I did it. And I happened to do it at like the contest with the biggest prize money. Yeah. What was the prize money back then? Fifty grand. God damn. Yeah, matching too. I might have done. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's up. Uh so <laughs> That was a good year. So, yeah, yeah, no, it, yeah. it was great because after that contest, I went straight back to the hotel, called England. I said, put the house on the market. We're moving to America. That's fucking sick. And that was basically it. And then from there on, like you say, I went to X Games in 2000 and everything changed. Although also nothing changed. You know, you, you could never take for granted that even if you beat Dave once, Mm-hmm. You were going to beat him again. Yeah. And it took years for me to understand how to consecutively stay on top. Mm-hmm. Because you win one, Dave comes back stronger. You beat him again, he comes back stronger. You know, and it was always this up, down, up, down, up, down until again, you make another shift within your riding to fully. For me, it was to fully understand that in order to really separate myself from everybody else, I have to be so different that I'm the one dictating to everyone how you ride vert from here on out. Mm. And that was how you change the game. Yeah. You know, you you become the person that dictates, hey, if you show up to a contest now, you have to ride this way in order to be on par with the top guys. And if you don't have it, don't expect to be on the podium. And, you know, from there on out, it was, you know, it was, I think, from 2006, I got I got silver in 2006, and then it was 2007 all the way to 14. It was just a run of insane wins. But... With the up and downness of um, the previous years against battling with Dave, you know, when you become the consecutive gold medal winner over and over and over again, it comes with its own different set of problems. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like you were winning round after round after round after round after round instead of winning around, losing around, winning around, losing around. So you'd be like, You'd be on top of the world, then you'd be down, and you have to get hungry again. And then you're back on top of the world, and then you're down, and you have to be hungry again. So it's like constantly chase, catch, chase, catch. Emotional roller coaster. Yeah, for sure. And when it became consecutive wins, the problem then wasn't chasing, it was defend. Mm -hmm. But I didn't take that attitude. I always looked at it like, when I went into every contest, whether I won the one previous or not, I was always the guy chasing. Yeah, I was always the guy in second place. I was never the favorite. I would never believe anything that the people on the PA system were telling me. Here he comes three times, you know, back-to-back winner, blah, blah, blah. And I'd listen to it, and I would never, you know, I would always appreciate what they said. But I was always thinking to myself, I've got to work hard today. I've got to beat these guys. Like, I'm chasing these guys. I'm in second place right now. So, 
is it? And by the way, yeah, all it, all this stuff can be construed as you're a competitive asshole in 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 the world of competition. Yeah. Okay, where we had to take it to. Yeah, people can often say like, "Oh, he was just super competitive. It was competitive asshole," and blah blah blah. But you know, what they failed to see is I was learning off Dave Mirror, mm-hmm. and that's a guy who, when he lost, would you, you had to duck because there was a Belmoto Seven helmet coming, flying off the course because he was angry that he lost. So. Mm-hmm. When you're riding with someone who has such high expectations of riding and such desire to stay on top, things get competitive. They do. Kind of like another form of pulling things out of yourself that you don't feel exist until you are faced with them. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. It kind of also creates another lane that people can like say, well, if you want to be a BMX pro. Well, you have many options, and if you think highly of yourself and you can dig deep enough to compete with these guys, because you know you have to come with it. And I think with some people can just seem naturally talented on the bike, but when you have to compete against guys that seem competitive or just driven, then it's good to have guys like yourself and guys like Dave that set that bar so it makes kids want to go harder or people looking at you guys to even try that that much harder to even be on the deck. You know, so many people will probably look at it differently, but also people need to hear that so they can, like, find their way within it. Because if you don't have those examples, then it kind of leaves you just like, oh, I can just lollygag around, which you can do it, do it however you want. But it's here's al- another way. You it's can also do it one of those things that people comment on stuff that they <clears throat> can't relate to. Yeah, you can't really you no. can't rate you can't relate to actually being the best in the world. at something right. like like. Uh, you yeah. know, I'm, I don't know. I take it or not, but like you are, were, you know, the best, the best in the world at something at riding BMX for, and it's like, I can't relate to that. I can't relate. I'm not the best of the world at anything. There's got whatever it is, whatever you put out there that I'm good at. Somebody's probably better than it. Not fucking BMX vert, you know, like, and that's. That's a wild place to be. Mm-hmm. And so when people, somebody's like, oh, he's a competitive asshole or says anything, it's like... It's because they you can't, can't relate. relate. Yeah. You can't true. relate. It's like, true. Like, yeah. it's, and it takes a lot of yeah. like people to... It takes people to dig deep to even admit that. You yeah. know, it's like when you do something you love or that you think you love as much as somebody else, then somebody else can do it a hundred times better than yeah. make you like, like look at yourself. Like, do I really, yeah. am I really, there's always a faster you know, car. Like, there's always a faster yeah. runner. There's always yeah. a faster, whatever. Like you're not the best. Yeah. Like, you, you, think you, may, you may be best in like yeah. five miles, yeah. five square miles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not a hundred, yeah. you yeah. know, like not a thousand. So what's it like being the best in the world at something? Explain that. Um, <laughs> thank you. Pre- appreciate you putting me this on the spot. Um, I think one thing that you, you you know you have to be mindful of is that, and, and I'll refer it back to what I said earlier. I was given the enormous task of standing on the shoulders of English giants, mm-hmm. the English BMX community, and. I'd finally got to a position where I was proud to do that. And I was willing to work 10 times harder than anybody else to stay there. Because if I were there, if I was at the top, if I was the best guy in the world, then so was the English BMX community. Mm. 
That's it, where you came from. They were there with me. Mm-hmm. Every, every one of them. Every two-hour session in the cold of winter with a bunch of my friends and riding mini ramp and, you know, riding a vert ramp alone at Wakefield and while everybody was riding the street course, the, every, everybody was there with me. Like, every sacrifice, every English BMX rider, every parent of every BMX rider that helped out at the events that we had, and they were low budget. You know, when you're towing a ramp on the back of a car... You know, they weren't. There were no frills, but they were all there too. It wasn't for nothing. Yeah, it wasn't for nothing, and that's you know that that was something that I, I took pride in, and I was willing to work. And if there was an attachment to that from people that didn't understand or couldn't, like say, couldn't relate, so be it. But you know, there was a bigger prize at stake than you know what many people could see and that was to make everyone that that enjoyed riding bmx past present and even the future you know know that coming from england anything's possible coming from anywhere in the world anything's possible but you know to 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 be there to put that work in it it, it meant that i valued everything that came before me you never forgot the we like you said you know it's like you can't forget the we mm-hmm. no. because i'm you know i'm not self made so many people have helped me to get here so many people and if i was just to suddenly forget who they were wow what a guy jamie Beswick is that would you make know, you an asshole that would make me an asshole yeah. And I don't forget those people, you know. What is it? I've been on Monster since 2006. We were talking about it the other night. I think I'm one of the longest standing Monster members. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful to those guys because they've supported me riding a BMX bike. And they've, much like my peers back in the day and and the parents that would give me a a ride to Europe to ride a, a, a contest... You know, they've helped me. Mm-hmm. They've they've nurtured me. They've inspired me. They've they've given me that gentle push in the back to say, you know, we're here, strength in numbers, we got you. And you know, I'm I'm just I'm thankful for that and I and I never feel alone. And I tell that to as many people as I can, you mm-hmm. know. Um, whether they're Olympic athletes or whether they're kids that are coming to Woodward for the first time, you know, like look at your community. Like, you didn't get here on your own. You got here because all those people encouraged you and and, sh- and inspired you. And, you know, that, uh, in, in especially in this kind of, sometimes in this day and age, can get lost real quick. Mm-hmm. And like you said, is it an age thing? Is it, you know, just uh, a personality trait? Who knows? Probably a little bit of both. But I, I can't forget where i've come from and and the people that have joined me along the way on this journey that's awesome what where did that work ethic come from has it always been in you we'll be right back hey sketch comedy fans if you like unapologetically uncensored comedy check out instant microwave fuzz recorded every week hot and fresh and straight out of the microwave unscripted jokes uncensored guests you're going to have a lot of outrageous improvised sketch comedy fun you can find us on all the platforms under instant microwave fuzz comedy made in an instant
When I find something I love, I just won't quit on it. I mean, going to work for me was to fund the BMX. So it, it was just the water to the flower. Um, and uh, anything that I love, I will work hard at it. Anything that I can't stand, I'll let it fall by the wayside, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and that's how it should be in life. Why should you spend all your years flogging something that you're not happy about? You know, putting in the, the hard work when, you know, the payoff, you don't get enjoyment from it. And yeah, I, you know, I'd work six days a week, even seven sometimes to get extra money if I wanted to go to somewhere like America for a contest, you know, to pay the, the airfare. But it was worth it mm -hmm. because I was feeding what I loved. And that, to me, it was just the process. It was all part of the process. It's all go, investing in yourself. Yeah, like. go, go to work, get some money. We can go riding four times this week. I've got to work till 12. Uh, well, you know, do I go home or do I stop off, get a sandwich and on the way to the skate park? I'll just do that. You know, and it was just, that's all I was doing. I was just feeding the thing I loved the most. And that was BMX. And, yeah. To the day I die, and I hope I have a coffin made out of BMX parts because I need something to ride when I'm upstairs <laughs> with Mira and Kev and all those dudes. Is it? Is it? Maybe you have a one I made out of X Games medals. Um, At least an urn, right? You can put an urn, make an I, urn out of X yeah. Games medals at this point. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe I'll make myself an infinity gauntlet. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, is it true that you don't? have any medals or cups or trophies on display at your house correct you have bicycles on your wall correct why, why is, is that? that yeah right here we go i like it no I think it's, I think that's, it's, really that's interesting. very interesting yeah you know medals and trophies to me you point at them you have to dust them down you know people go oh what medal is this oh that's the 2000 such and such metal oh cool yeah great oh that yeah blah blah, blah. oh you got oh, yeah mm. amazing oh that's a different you trophy. have so many i have so yeah. few can i have yeah one? oh you've got 10 you, got you ten, wear those out <laughs> 10 do cups what do you do with them all i don't know i don't even know where they all are to be fair um i know i store cables in one of them but you know. um the medals to me don't really tell that much of a story mm-hmm but yet people ask all the time about the bike that's on the wall with the snap crank arm mm -hmm. or what's the red bike? What are you doing on that one? Why is this one on the wall? When did you ride this? Why are the dropouts three feet wide on this one? <laughs> but, so to me, the bikes have more of a story than the medals. Yeah, a lot yeah, more character too. Yeah, yeah, a lot more character. And the medals are great, but it's such a fleeting moment, mm -hmm. you know, and I only ever celebrated a win for a day. You only, that's a rule. Well, uh, I'm not the type of person to still parade around after six months going, yeah. Won the X Games, <laughs> kids. Here well, I, I am. More, huh? I'm at, I'm, I assume more in, in a mental sense. Like, no. you like, don't revel in that, in that win um, for too long or. I enjoy the day. I enjoy the night. I enjoy the moment. And maybe the weekend too, if if I'm not 
doing autographs and stuff like this or if I'm not continuing to work. But it was never a prolonged celebration. Mm -hmm. You know, I would always get back to riding bikes Mm -hmm. because that was the most beautiful thing about the whole process anyway was now I get to do it all over again. Now, guess what? I got to think up some more tricks. I got to be more creative. I got to think of new lines. I got to do that. That was the payoff. Mm -hmm. And... You know, when I look at all the bikes on the walls, they just make me happy because I look at them and I go, wow, like that was only that's only 10 years old and I'm running seven and a half inch bars. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, just the weird things on there, the grips, the this. God, they don't make those anymore. Look at that. That's cool. And then when you explain those things to people and, and they look at them, and they go, when did you ride this bike? I'll go, I rode this bike in 99 and this is what I did on this bike. And uh, the really cool thing about this night was X, Y, and Z. And there's a story and there's something more tangible than a medal with a right. ribbon on it, mm-hmm. you know? Well, that bike was part of the process that you That were... bike was part mm-hmm. of the process mm-hmm. and they can see that and they can look at it and you can, you can touch it and you can lift the weight. And to me, that's, those are the stories. Yeah. That's the story. Of... That's the we. The bike is That's part of the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, it is. A good I way. mean, yeah. you know, uh, and hey, we'll touch on this again. Whenever you think you're an I, you're always a we because yeah. you're holding on to a bike and you're, you know, you're always saying, me and my bike. Yeah, that's well, true. you're a we. You're a we. Uh, yeah. wow. so. Like you break that down in simple form, like yeah. that's pretty sick. No, that's cool. Yeah. I, I, uh, I figured there was some, you know, something along those lines with it. And then. Like, I, I have no problem w- walking into people's houses where it's a shrine yeah. to themselves, yeah. like where they've got, you know, the the checks on the I mean, wall. I, got, and I have, the, and I have an orca up here, you know. Yeah. That's, that's, I, that's, there's not a name on it. It's not mine. I, I have an orca up too. And yeah. I actually I got, it, I, I got it out the other, the other week. So that was quite let's fun. Talk, let's talk about that because I feel like okay. because there, sometimes there's even like questions of, of other categories, you know, like of like, oh, why don't you guys do this? And I always brought up I always brought up the vert category because in a sense, it was like, hey, the sample of people that are eligible and that are able to win is is relatively small. And that if they really do stand out like Beswick did that year where he rode vert and they were like, vert is a fucking ramp. And Jamie fucking Bestwick rode ramps the best that year. And here's his Nora Cup. Yeah. You know, so it was like if he stands out, if they, that person stands out in their own spectrum, they will win a Nora Cup, hopefully, you know. But. Yeah. And quite rightly so. You know, there's always been, to me, um, you know, the certain categories of BMX. So you got Flatland, you got Dirt, you got Street, you got Ramps. Mm-hmm. Whether you call it Transition or not. Skate parks, jump boxes, vert ramps, mega ramps, they all come underneath transitions or ramps. So, you know, yeah, it's, uh, and to to win against such a a variety of riders across uh, across the transition category is, is awesome. You know, at the end of the day, somebody's got to produce something pretty spectacular that year to walk away with the the Nora Cup. And I would say 
and this is just my honest opinion, um, the Nora Cup is one of the most prestigious things to win because it's voted on by your peers. Yeah. It's always voted on by your peers. It's not fan favorite, you know. Mm. I, although you do do a fan yeah. favorite now, which is great, and it, it's nice in this day and age to have that social interaction to to give people the opportunity to vote. However, because it's voted on by people that you have the utmost respect for within BMX, the people that you compete against, the people that you practice with, the people that you look for inspiration from yourself to get that vote from them and for you to be the Nora Cup Rider of the Year, it doesn't get any more special than this. Go. Try and kick the cat out of here. Sorry. Oh. I think she wants out. She was going to the door. There she goes. There we go. Bye, cat. Yeah. And, you know, it's like when Charlotte won it this year, you know, I said, you need to cherish this one because this is voted on by everybody that was inspired by you and your performance this is voted on by people you compete against and you know these don't come around every day mm -hmm. i mean she's young so they might for her who knows she might end up doing a garrett reynolds and just winning 13 winning 13 or however many is one um but it, it's special yeah any time your peers can vote for you to be the the number one rider that year, it's that that's something to to cherish. What looping back to kind of the the peak days, the mm. the Woodward, the the deck of the ramp type stuff, being you know the best in the world, being the top guy. What what sacrifices were there? You know, friendships lost, those type of things, those those Woodward weird stuff. Yes, yeah, he. Yeah, he's, he's laughing at me. We're going there now. <laughs> I mean, this there, this is all been in preparation for the Woodward Vert Ramp no, stories. No, <laughs> no. So I, I don't mean, have to go there. That's cool. okay. We won't go there then. <laughs> no, it's not all. It hasn't been all in prep for that. Okay, but that's part of the. I have a whole list. Of well, I, well, yeah. when I did go to Woodward, I saw the Vert Ramp, and I just pictured you riding it. Like yeah. seriously, I looked at it and was like. Yeah, you touched the roof on that. Yeah. That's pretty wild. Yeah. Like that. It is pretty surreal, you know. It's that's yeah. ramp. It's yeah, it, it is. It huh? is. It's it's my ramp, you know. It's I think I named the building Cloud Nine. So <laughs> yeah. That's a little known of, fact. I did not know that. That was a special moment yeah. down in the office with Gary Ream. He said, Well what what do you think we should call it? I said, Well, you've got the all the most perfect ramps up there and you couldn't be any higher than Cloud Nine. Yeah, wow. perfect. There you go. So, cloud nine. Um, deck of the vert ramp in the peak days of riding BMX vert. Who would be on the deck? Who would be on the deck? Um, Tom Stover. Myself, Tom Stover, Keith McElhaney, Kevin Robinson, John Parker, Chad Kagey, Steve McCann, Art D. Ambrosio, Danny Parks. Danny uh, Parks, I heard that name. Yeah, Danny Parks from New York City. Um, Pardal from, I think, Argentina. A guy mm -hmm. named Pardal. Uh, he used to come up. Uh, th there, there are a, a lot of people that used to that used to come to camp and ride. And depending which time of year it was, you could have Dave up there. You could have a slew of of different riders. Simon would come from time to time. Um, and for the most part, 
it was great atmosphere. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we all got along famously and we all had some amazing sessions. Some of the sessions at Woodward on a weekly basis was like a contest. Mm-hmm. You literally walk in and people are five whipping the ver ramp and we're just doing the wildest stuff. And it's, it's normal. Mm-hmm. It's, this is the norm. Um, and, and this is something, this is the norm that I created. You know, this is the new level of practice, which was great. And I think the more, I don't know if this is right to say this, but I always feel like money is a determining factor. Um, But when money started really coming in and sponsorship started coming in and people wanted to be the, the best rider in the world and they wanted to win this and wanted to win that, things started to get a little frayed. Mm-hmm. on top of the vert ramp and people started taking sides and there was this click and there was that click and yeah there were some choice words at times said on top of that vert ramp um many heated arguments mm-hmm. uh, many fallings out you know one group would fall out with one and another or they would fall out with a particular individual and then <laughs> you know then it would just everything would smooth out then it would happen again and that was just you know it was just how it was because there wasn't that distance like there was between Woodward and Greenville mm-hmm. you know you were in the pressure cooker day in day out at Woodward and you were riding with guys that you knew that weekend you were going to compete against and you knew what they were doing they knew what you were doing and it was always a bit of a um and I'm sure there'd be games, so they would try and hide what they were doing versus what you were oh, doing, or the, you were hiding what you were doing versus what they were doing. The, and, you, uh, know. you know, the uh, the sessions that were invite-only, so mm-hmm. to speak, um, yeah, they happened. You know, people would have these sessions, or maybe it was just because I was notoriously late um that i would show up at the back end of sessions and people were like dude he's doing this on purpose he's coming in late because <laughs> he wants to just see the back end of our session when we're warmed up and get all our tricks and then he's going to put two hours in on his own and just <laughs> and it was like no i was just late <laughs> i was just late <laughs> ask any of my friends i'm just i'm five minutes late all the time in fact today i was early so you know ten that, minutes. that's uh, yeah ten impressive. minutes early <laughs> impressive um but yeah it's um you know, there were times when it, it got really frayed and... Was there friendships actually lost? Yes. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah, there was. That's a shame, obviously. I think it is a shame. However, maybe some friendships didn't need to be friendships in the first place. Yeah. If they were stronger friendships, they wouldn't they have They would have lasted. Yeah. 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 And, you know, there's a lot of envy, a lot of jealousy, that kind of stuff. And people wanted to, you know, they wanted this and they wanted that. And, you know, you would see, you know, what was happening to one person and then it would spike a, some some jealousy in another. And then if somebody learned a new trick, they'd go out and learn it. And all of a sudden you've got beef between two guys who are, you know, I want to do the trick first. No, but I can do yeah. it now. You and saw it's me like, try it. Yeah, you son yeah. of a bitch. Yeah. Like, you're copying all my stuff. Like, yeah. let me do it. You know, and it's just, honestly, the, the drama was never ending at times. And, you know, I mean, I've seen, I've seen strong, grown adults reduced to tears on top of that 
top of that vert ramp. So, really? Yeah. yeah. Um, kind of a shame. Um, but that was that. Unfortunately, is a byproduct of you know ego, competition, desire, um, livelihood, livelihood, yeah. wanting to be the best, yeah. um, fame, fame game. That's a fickle beast. That one. Yeah. Never got wrapped up in it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was. Um, there were some amazing times on top of that ver ramp, <clears throat> but there was also some pretty sad times, you know. And hey, I'm not a bloody saint. I was guilty of some of the yeah, some of the stuff. Yeah. yeah, you know. I mean, I I was you know, kind of a hard guy to deal with back then. And, um, yeah, I fell out with loads of people, you know. Do you feel that a lot of the, even just the falling out with multiple people, was more so created because of the drive that you had? No, maybe it was a quality within the person that I really didn't care for. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. What? So, I guess let's move towards... The streak ending. What, yeah. When the when the streak ended, was it a relief or was it a sadness? I never got sad, because mm-hmm. um, I was constantly still trying to push it. However, I was hiding something that I was kind of vocal about. I think I talked to you. But I don't it. think yeah. anybody actually believed me because they just thought it was, oh, Jamie's losing a contest. He's, he's pulling this one. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, my bike. <laughs> oh, my leg. Oh, this. Oh, yeah, dude. He's just lost. Like, you know, I mean, I, Vince ended my streak of, you know, how many? Of, how of many nine. I got nine, I got nine yeah. and Five then nine. I was going for ten. Wow. Yeah. But, you know, the whole, th- like, the whole thing with the streak was... After every time I won another one, the first thing anybody said is, and now you go for eight, and now you go for nine. Yeah. I won nine, and now you go for ten. Double figures. And I'm like, when does it end? Yeah. Like, when's it going to end? And it's not that I didn't want to go out there and win again, but, you know, it was it, you couldn't celebrate the night because the first thing people said was and now you go for 10 it just creates the whole like and then you're like but but i haven't even celebrated number nine now you're gonna be 10 10. yeah (laughs) yeah and and, and that's 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 pretty much you know that that's how it was and and then insatiable maybe is a good word for it yeah literally couldn't be satisfied it was all about the next one yeah, and that's that's what some people are like. Mm-hmm. You know, they they they're always looking at stats. You know, sports are pretty much built around stats, and you know they want to know that you're going to come back next year and you're going for ten. And um, you know, I came back the following year and I just I I, I was riding pretty darn good. Um, I just wasn't feeling it that day. Um, and oh, sorry, I'll just push it close to you. And, yeah, ultimately I lost and and Vince won and I was very gracious in defeat, um, you know, because that's something I've always, you know, kind of prided myself on. And he did, you know, on that day he rode better than me Mm -hmm. um, in the eyes of the judges. Uh, And the following year we came back 
and I beat Vince. Yeah. And, you know, that was just down to my desire, my experience. And, you know, I, I, I made a mistake of not doing a new trick the year before. Well, I did one, but it kind of went unnoticed. Um, well, let's talk about the, the second place here, because what, what was the issue? It was something with your, your neck? Right? No, no. Was it, was it that year? Or was no, that, 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 was, that was later. So. Oh, okay. so what was going on that year? What, the year that I got second? Yeah. I just, you know, I, I just what? I just wasn't feeling the ramp. Like I couldn't really connect with my bike and the ramp and I couldn't get things going like I wanted to. I kept trying this stupid, uh, I was doing like a Superman Indian in the corner and then trying to go to a flare down whip and it just wasn't working. But I was adamant that that was the line because mm. I'd done it at the do tour. Uh, instead of just doing something else instead. But, you know, I was pretty stoked. I did a front flare invert mm -hmm. at that contest. I mean, I'm pretty sure I got a bit of a concussion from it just from the landing alone because um, I landed quite low on the front wheel. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I was I was pretty happy with, with how I rode at the contest, but it just wasn't a win. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a winning performance. Um, so I got second that year, and you know what? Didn't bother me. It didn't. You know, like you say, was it a relief? Yeah, a little bit. Was I a bit bummed that I didn't do 10? Yeah, but it it, it wasn't, you know, it, it didn't, it, cripple, it, it, it didn't yeah. cripple me at the time. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll, I'll get something a little later when I, I carry on. Um, and then came back next year, I beat Vince. Uh, and honestly, like I was, it wasn't about beating Vince. I just had to prove to myself again that I have the drive to go away, work hard, come back, put it all down on the ramp like I know I can do. And I went and did it. And then after that, I lost, I think, like three straight. Um, I got three silver medals. Um, but the underlying issue was after I won in 20... And was it 2015 or 16? I think I won in 2016. The underlying issue was was my lower back had started to, to deteriorate mm -hmm. very badly. Um, I had had a disc trimmed earlier and um, just things just started to fail on my body. And on, um, I think it was Father's Day, I went right into Woodward and... I was 12 feet out the top of the vert ramp and it's literally like somebody had touched me with a cattle prod and I had a lightning bolt run down my leg and I was in so much pain I had to crawl out the building mm -hmm. and crawl into the car and crawl into hospital and I was in tears. It was so much pain and it turns out I'd ruptured my disc. and the Midair. Yeah, like it, it literally it, that's when it just it started happened midair, and and then it pushed the disc under my sciatic nerve, and then I lost yeah. the feeling yeah. down the left side of my leg, uh, and then I've got X Games in like two weeks, mm -hmm. and now I'm trying to figure out how to ride a BMX bike with one and a half legs, so I was riding on the inside of my left foot because that's the only thing I could feel, mm -hmm. um, my calf wasn't working my quad wasn't working i had a knee brace on just so i could give myself enough 
leg stability to pump. Wow. And yeah, I can remember you taking photos of me there, and you know, I was just. Like, I think that was the year we did like yeah. the interview. I went to your hotel room for the monster video and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, that's and right. Was like, yeah. yeah, I was really struggling, but you know, when you are defending champion, or that's what it was. Know, the video was called "Defending the Gold," and yeah. Jamie, I'm interviewing Jamie, and he's like, "Yeah, my leg's not working." Wow. Yeah, and I'm like, "Oh fuck!" So, and you know, when you are the defending champion, any you can't have an excuse. You can't. You can't just turn up and go, my leg's playing up today. I'm just not feeling it. Everybody's like, oh, he's trying to pull this card. He wants some sympathy from the judges. He wants those like early points. And you're just like, no, literally, I can't feel my leg. And I went out and rode the contest, and it was the one where I did the alley-oop five with my, and ice picked mm-hmm. on the way in. Mm-hmm. Well, I was a winner, that one. Um, <laughs> repeat that one I will never be able to repeat that one So, but thankfully ESPN captured it and we have it all on film and even with the, the, the microphone in the coping it just accentuated the noise of the peg hitting the coping so that's a keeper but for the next three years my life basically went down the drain yeah. with spine issues and at when was it? It was the year after. Um, I was riding vert and, and little Kev, uh, Kevin Robinson Jr., uh, was on top of the ramp. And he was riding and, and then he popped out and sat there. And I rode in and I did an opposite flare. And for some something happened, something went wrong. And when I landed, I landed so heavy that it put my head down. And by the time I looked up, I ran full speed into the resi. Oh, wow. And when I hit the resi, it twisted my body and then slammed me against the resi. And I can remember at the time getting a massive Charlie horse. And I was like, this really hurts. And I was like, I've got to go home. So I packed up myself, went home. I'm like, my back's sore, but I did land twisted. And it was a pretty violent crash. And then... Um, you know, five days later, off we go to X Games and, you know, riding practice. I'm doing the best I can. I feel pretty good and everything's going all right. And then I was sat in the um, I sat in the athlete lounge and I'm, I'm sat there watching, I think, mega practice, something like that. And uh, I turned to Kerry and I said, I'm going to have to stand up. Flipping, my legs have gone numb just from sitting down here on these hard seats all this time. So I stood up and went, went to walk around for a couple minutes, grabbed a drink, came back, and I said, Kerry, my legs are still numb. Mm-hmm. And she said, you need to call Greg. So I called my spine surgeon, Greg. I said, Greg, my legs have gone numb. He said, right, can you get to my office, you know, within the hour? I said, no. I'm in Minneapolis and I'm riding vert finals tonight. <laughs> and he was like, okay, whatever you do, do not crash your bike. And I was like, fair enough. And for the rest of the day, um, I didn't know. And then this was the scary part. I didn't know whether or not I needed to go to the toilet. Mm. Like I literally had no re- very little sensation from the hips down to my feet. And I'm starting to get really concerned now. Pull the Pat Casey. Um, I don't know what a Pat Casey is. Pat Casey pooped himself at X Games. I didn't 
poop myself at X Games. <laughs> Sorry, Pat. For the record. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> hey, birds shit in the woods. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, that's where, yeah. that's uh, where Pat Casey lives at X Games. At X Games. Um, but I got really, I got really scared and... Um, I rode the contest that night, and it was the one where DMC got knocked out, and yeah. then he ran around the back of the ramp, shimmed his way up onto oh, the top of the rolling right. where he had the spare bike, and then pulled the 900, and yeah. everybody's like, 50-year-old guy pulls a 900. Yeah. And I was just like, I, I was, you know, it, it was just that night, but I rode in, and I wasn't, I, I was so scared that if I crashed, that, it may be the one thing that every BMX or every athlete fears the most, mm -hmm. you know, um, sitting in the wheelchair, losing the loss of legs like that is it's something you can come to terms with, but it's it's crippling, too, you know, and I love to ride bikes. and I just didn't want to give up that. So so um, so to your credit, I had no idea. Nobody did. Yeah, like I, I, I wasn't. Yeah, I, I you know. If you tell somebody what they're going to do, yeah. you know, they can be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, you must be in agony. It's like, well, no, it doesn't look like him, does it? No. You know, and then I came back the following year and I so, had my spine fused. And then. Well, I, I have a question. Why the fuck did you drop in? Passion. Because. Yeah, I mean. It's everything I love. Again, I was, I was there to represent all the people in my community and now my community has spread to everybody all over the world yeah. um you know all the people that have inspired me around the world in america and everywhere we've been and then you know to to go in that ramp and and to ride and 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 to enjoy myself and you know to to make all the sacrifices they and i have made along the way still you know still stand for something and um and also I'm a professional and whether sponsored riders like to admit it or not, you work for companies mm -hmm. much like I went to work to fund my, um, my gas, my, the gas for my car and to, so, you know, to, to pay my bills and to pay the entry to skate parks, you know, the sponsors that I ride for now allow me to still live my dream. And I've always took pride in, doing the best job I can in order to keep that, that dream going. You know, I have a responsibility to them and for all the great things they do for me in return, I will stand on the front lines and throw myself into battle. You know, I'm not going to be that guy that goes, I'm sorry, but I've got an excuse why I can't ride this one this year. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, they've put everything into this event. Get your ass on the line, regardless of what state you're in. And just and it is it's stupid and I don't recommend it to anybody but that's just me. Yeah, that's what makes you you. You yeah, know, like in, in so. reality. So. Well, it makes you want to take a little bit of that. Like you said, it's it's not for everybody, but hearing it, it can help another person maybe dig something out of themselves that at least give a little bit more effort, you know, or to take their situation a little bit better. Even to myself, hearing it is like, yeah, like take it in, like listen maybe apply a little bit more effort on my behalf, even if I feel like, oh, I don't want to do it today. I do like treating it like a job, but like hearing it from the best, you yeah, know, yeah. Is, is just a reminder, like, yeah, like firsthand hearing it. So at some point it does become a job. I mean, 
at the end of the day, it's a, a good cr- fucking job. It's the best job yeah. I've ever had. Yeah. It really is, but it's also the hardest job I've ever had. Mm-hmm. I've had to work harder at this at this career, at this job, whatever you want to call it, than I've ever done at any other time in my life. Mm-hmm. And but it, it's something that I enjoy. Again, it goes back to you know uh, I, I get to do what I love, and I'll do anything for the thing I love. I will feed. The thing I love, anything. I'll, I'll I'll go to all the lengths in the world for it, and you know if that means just dropping in a little under the weather and 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 still being able to produce a, a podium. A little under the. I weather. have a question that's kind of like on the lines of that. Um, how old were you when you turned pro? Uh, good question. I think I was like nineteen, 19. but pro in England was basically right in a pro contest. The A, the a le- like the A level, so. What about sponsor pro? When, when it, when, yeah, like I rode the highest level I could in England, um, but I didn't necessarily, I wasn't necessarily a sponsor pro. And also, you got to remember, there's two different types of sponsor pro. There's product sponsored pro, and there is product and financially sponsored pro. Right. And I wasn't a financially sponsored pro for a very long time. I would always mm. get, you know, like I think my first sponsor I ever got was by Hutch and they gave me um somebody's old race jersey, old pants, and a fourth hand cracked frame and a second hand pair of woody bars. Nice. How about that for a yeah, no. yeah. Any, so any kid out there that yeah. starts bitching that oh I didn't want the purple frame that they oh, sent me, God. I wanted black. It's like <laughs> yeah. dude, quit bitching. Do you <laughs> feel do you feel that um you working and you know having to drive the ride BMX, but like working with, within that to fund your way around with this to skate park, entry to skate parks, uh, contests and stuff like that. Do you think that helped mold you into how you handle your professional uh, sponsorship, like sponsored situation where you start to get actually paid to make a living off of bike riding? Do you feel coming from a hard working like situation? Like I have to go to work every day to be able to do this. Do you feel like that helped you, um, kind of focus more in onto riding and take it a little bit more seriously and on top of the friends too and stuff but yeah yeah i by going to work i understood the value of a dollar and how hard it you have to work to to earn a dollar uh, or a pound yeah so when i became a professional rider and all of a sudden i was riding for you know money that i'd never even knew existed um for a person like me then i i appreciated that and i put more work into that because it was a better paying job you know if if you're working uh for minimum wage at your at your regular place of work and somebody gives you a promotion to a manager and all of a sudden you're earning three times as much you're gonna You'll have understood the value of a dollar by working right at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And now you've been promoted. People have seen value in you. And you you come from a different place of work ethic now because you understand the grind. And now you've got to elevate yourself to meet the new level of grind that is being asked from you. Right. So that's all it was. It was, you know, I, I cut my teeth early on in the working world and on the building sites and on the uh, in the factories and wasn't your dad a coal miner as well isn't that like the heart i mean isn't that yeah my dad was a mining engineer yeah Yeah. he went down the coal mines and um 
seeing your dad work work his ass off oh, his entire he, life. He would, co- he would come in at nine at night after leaving at seven and long days. Um, but where we lived in Derbyshire was a very big mining area. So he wasn't the only one, but he was an engineer. So he, he also had an office job, but he still did have to go to um, the mines mm-hmm. to go down there. In fact, when it, when I was five, we moved, we emigrated to South Africa because my dad went to work in a gold mine. Oh, wow. So we did that for a year and then we... You know, he left South Africa because it wasn't working out. But, yeah, we, we, I've always been around mining families. And anybody that knows the mining community knows that they're the hardest working guys. I would imagine. It's such an intense and scary job going down. Because it's, it's like um, not only just like real crazy manual labor, but it's real harsh on your in, inside of your body. Like I'm sure it takes breathing, time. like so many things that yeah. go into it that and slowly can hurt you like mm-hmm. over years and years. Right. You're right. And just think back then precautions. They, were yeah, not, the, yeah. The, the precautions back then were shut up. Slim to none. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. turn a blind eye, you <laughs> know, yeah. oh, no, he's nobody, coughing again. Yeah. Like, today's look, safety like, yeah, nobody, routine is shut up. Nobody yeah. had face masks. I mean, today, you know, if, if, uh, you know, HR went down a mine of yesteryear and looked at the working conditions. Oh my gosh, yeah. lawsuits are plenty. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The, it, it was just anything goes at that time. It was just work, and that's what people expected. It was just work. It's just what you did. So learning those values, it helped me when I did become a professional bike rider because not only did I understand the meaning and the value of money but also what it took to acquire it and how hard you had to work and how you had to work smarter too, mm-hmm. um, depending on, you know, what you were trying to achieve. And that's a, that's a regular theme on the podcast is the idea of, uh, when you become a professional, you've arrived and that you, people tend to take it for granted and the hard work that they did to get to that level mm-hmm. kind of falls off once they get there. Yeah, I don't, you know, and that's yeah. that's something that we try and instill and talk about. Yeah. Is like, yeah. hey, just because you arrived, just because you got the, the gold like or whatever, yeah, yeah. Is, it means that now you just work hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? and smarter, so, like you said, harder and smarter. Like not just, oh, I'm just collecting it just to keep going, but like literally working smarter yeah. and also just now you have to grind even harder just to keep yeah. or you get more. You've arrived. You've arrived at the destination that requires the most work now. Yeah. So get cracking. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, you did all this here and that got you noticed. That did exactly what you wanted to have happen. I want to be noticed by someone. I want to be a pro rider. Welcome to the team. Hooray, I've arrived. Okay, get to work. Yeah. Now's the real work, okay? If you feel you've arrived, where have you arrived to? You're a part of a team of heavy-hitting dudes. Now you've got to stand heads and shoulders above these guys, and you've got to inspire them, and you've got to bring your passion to the world of, of BMX, and you've got to show everybody why and how you've earned this spot on a prestigious team. And, yeah, people forget that. They forget, like, oh, now I have to go to work. I, I, I just thought I was going to collect a paycheck and sit by the pool and look good. It's like, no, now, now's the real time to go to work. This is it. In the same vein, uh, did you do you consider yourself like a naturally talented talented BMX rider? Did you take to it well? I was the worst BMX rider in my town. 
<laughs> all, all my friends were amazing. I had a ninety-nine dollar bike. Um, my friends all had Horror Masters and GT Performers and yeah. Hutch Trick Stars and these super glamorous bikes. It's so funny when you talk about showing off and then the names. <laughs> the yeah. names of those bikes back then were you know, Performer yeah. uh-huh. and Trick Star. Trick Star. Yeah, yeah. Like that is it's, it's so fits into Master. That. It was like yeah. screaming look at me. Yeah, like just like names, it, yeah. yeah. Like yeah, it is. It's, it, 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 I mean, BMX was built. It's kind of, yeah. kind of glamorous. It's like eighties shoulder pads and suits. It's like, whoosh, yeah, check me out. Uh-huh. You know? um, but that's what BMX was, and that's why I loved it. It was like bright bikes, uniforms, colors, all the accessories. It was like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's like the old. You know, can you remember when you got a GI Joe in England? We called him Action Man. Like, you would get a G.I. Joe figure, and he would be very generic. Mm-hmm. You'd get Commando G.I. Joe or, like, you know, Scuba Diver. But you'd never get the full kit. But you could buy all the accessories to make G.I. Joe an absolute badass. Mm-hmm. That was BMX. Yeah. BMX, you would buy a BMX bike, and you'd be like, wow, that's awesome. Go to the bike shop, and there'd be a wall of accessories, much like there is these days. And you just pick and choose, and you make this this thing of beauty, your thing of beauty. And you personalize it, give it a name, put different decals on it, change things around, and it's yours. And and that excitement, that's what drew me to BMX. That's what I loved about it. Mm-hmm. It was that showing off element, like, you know, like old guys with old cars, you know, <laughs> they, they tart them up, they polish them up, and they take them to the coffee shop on a Saturday morning, and it's a car show. Come yeah. check out my Mustang, mm-hmm. you know? Nice. So... So you sucked. I sucked. Yeah, everybody in my town was amazing. Like, they really were amazing. And it's funny because um, a few years ago, at the height of the X Games, uh, I went home and I was walking back towards my mum and dad's house. I'd gone somewhere to get something. And I just heard this van stop. And a friend of mine got out and was like, Jamie, Jamie. And I was like, oh, hey, how's it going? He's like, good, yeah, what, what are you doing here? I said, just come back to see my mum and dad. And he was like, oh, mate, my kids watch you on X Games. He's like, oh, they love you. He's like, oh, my gosh, you're doing amazing. Like, your riding's crazy and all this stuff. And I looked at him. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, you know, still working in the family business and doing this, that, and the other. And I said, isn't it funny that you were the best rider around here, hands down? He used to win all the contests. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, that, those days are kind of done. I was like... Yeah, but you went out and got a car and a girlfriend and all this stuff, and you've just put, you sold it. They all sold their bikes. Mm-hmm. The minute they left schools, they got sports cars and they got girlfriends and all this stuff and got into drinking and basically the English lifestyle, the, all the trappings of what was success at that time. And they left that BMX bike by the wayside. And it sucked because they were so, so good. Mm-hmm. But. But yeah, that's that's life, you know. Yeah. And I, I didn't have a car. Didn't pass my test till I was nineteen. And I just loved riding my bike. Every time I could be on the bike, I was doing it. I was either cleaning it for the BMX club, or I was just riding down the street, or going to the track and jumping the tabletop, and or just reading magazines. Anything to do with BMX, that was me. And I just ground away until I had a, you know, I had a breakthrough, and I felt, yeah, I'm, I'm actually quite good at this. If you could tell yourself um, something 
from now to when you were younger, what would it be when it came to, it could be anything. You don't have to have anything to do with bike riding. It could be family related, just stuff in general, because I think like, yeah, like what would you tell your younger self? Well, other than buy Apple stock um, (laughs) (laughs) at a dollar. (laughs) Uh, No, in all fairness, um, I think I would just, if I, if I met myself when I was younger, I just, I think I'd just put my hand on my shoulder and say, you're going to enjoy these years. This is going to be a wild one. Get ready. Because if I gave myself, if I gave myself advice from the future, I would have, I would have changed. Paradox. Everything. Yeah. (laughs) I I, I would, I would change So you wouldn't change anything, basically. It's mainly the person I am today. Yeah. Good or bad. You know, I mean, I've had some wild experiences along the way and I've met some of the greatest people and I've ridden and seen the most amazing things on a BMX bike and ridden with the the best riders in the history of the sport, hands down. And I wouldn't change it for the world. You have to go through these things as a human to grow. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, all the experiences of, of breaking bones and, you know, all the highs, all the lows, you know, the, the countries that you travel to, the people that you meet, you know, if that was all taken away, I don't, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you guys. No. I'd be somewhere else. I'd probably be working for, you know, a different company or doing something. And I wouldn't be in the States. No. Everything leads you to your final destination. No. Um, so, yeah, I probably wouldn't say anything, you know, if I did have any advice for myself back then. Um, like, don't go out with that one girl or something like that. I, did, I, didn't, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't go out with her. That was the thing. That was the thing. My future self did come yeah, back and he was like, you, yo, yeah. don't like, go nope. out with that girl. <laughs> no, that was the thing. Like, I used to have a slew of girlfriends when I was young, but our relationship was dictated by the vert ramp. Yeah. So yeah. I used to. Where, it's raining where, today. How are you? Oh, it's sunny today. No, no, it wasn't even oh, that. Yeah, it's probably indoor ramp, actually. No, no, but... it was outdoor, and the vert ramp was in a pub car park, <laughs> and it was amazing. It was this temple vert ramp in a pub car park, so you could ride vert and then go to the pub. And then go ride vert. And then go ride vert, <laughs> which I, I, I never did that. I, ne- I never did that. I wasn't that professional, but... Um, but, you know, a lot of my relationships early on were just based on, you know, uh, eat, uh, um, um, <laughs> maybe they were just needy women. That I was with, and they were like, oh, I, I want to go to the cinema tonight. Should we hang out? And I'd be like, mm. uh, you know what? Sun's out. It's not going to go in till about nine. Everybody's riding vert. I'm like, uh, I can't tonight. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, where are you going? I'm riding BMX again. Why'd you ride that bike all the time? Because it's really good fun. Mm-hmm. And it costs me no money. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is a struggle. I when, when I, you know, girlfriends over the years are like, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I ride bikes. And then outside of that, everything else costs money. You know, like you're like, oh, my, pot, my pastime has been free for my entire life. Yeah. You don't yeah. pay for it. And it's like such an interest you like you spend money to go do something and if you do spend mo- if you do spend money bms wise you're paying for the experience that it's going to stick with you for life yeah. right yeah. it's yeah. not going to yeah. be just like fleeting things yeah 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 it's, it's funny the idea of like growing up and then and then you meet friends outside of bmx and you're like oh you yeah everything costs money to like other hobbies cost money 
yeah you know outside of the bike it was like yeah everything's free so it is what uh did we ever circle back to the the final gold medal no the final gold medal and yeah we did it was the one in uh austin texas it was the last time it was at uh circuit of the america so okay what happened at the last x games that happened uh, what happened at the last X is that Games? is that the one that you dropped in and with the with the numb legs is that was that no the final oh one? no no that the the last and goal then, yeah so that's what happened that's where we left off because then you went and got your your back fused i got my back fused and at the at the last x games that i went to um i was sitting in first after the first round after two runs um but when i was going in to ride my second run just don't know like I I was just getting this feeling like I'd never had before and it was almost like as a as a top competitor people always look to you for guidance and help because they see you as being incredibly strong and a and a pillar of strength Mm -hmm. so like with Olympic athletes or, you know, new generation of kids coming up and you're giving people advice, you know, they look to you as that guy's rock solid. He's unwavering. He doesn't need any help. But I was at that contest and I knew I was kind of done because all I needed to do was just to talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. And I just needed somebody to say, like, everything's good, you know. It's all right. Just go in and ride your bike and have fun. And I I looked around and I just thought, there really is nobody that's going to offer me this today. And and then I let I sat with it for a second. And then I thought, my job's done. Hmm. I've literally taught everybody how to be competitors now. And that's how hmm. it should be. Yeah. And... I'm going to let this guy run with it because he's hungry for it and I'm not. Yeah. And that was the difference. And he's not looking for alliances on the vert ramp. He's just looking to get the job done. Yeah. Much like I was uh, when I figured things out. And I, was, and I, I said, this is perfect. I'm happy. Yeah. And I was. And I walked away from that contest and... I was very content and I was very happy knowing that Vert's going to be all right. People are still going to ride Vert. They're still going to do the most amazing things. It's going to still light people up as much as it did back in the day. And we're still going to see the progression of Vert filter down onto the smaller ramps. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and the way people ride park courses. Uh, so, yeah, it was almost like a pat on the back. Like, well done. Yeah. So I'm reading between the lines, but if, you know, obviously COVID hits, there's no more, you know, X Games actually announced Japan yesterday, ironically, but up until then, I'm, I'm, I still have no idea if there's an X Games going to happen next year stateside. Um if there's a vert contest, are you going to ride in it? No. No. No, I I don't have the time to dedicate 
to you know being the rider that i want to be yeah yeah that it, it takes a lot of dedication and you know you you have to sacrifice many things in your life and i just don't see that i'm at that point now where i want, really want to do that and i'm not going to be the old man on the ramp that is just sending something with every finger and toes crossed that i land it in the hope of acquiring something yeah. you know I, I just i just don't need to do it i get more enjoyment now helping other people achieve their goals wow and you know seeing them you know reach their moment that you know they realize that they've got something special and and that they can run with it and they can you know stand on the head and shoulders of everybody that came before them mm. you know on on those shoulders of giants and yeah so that's that's what lights me up now that's and good. you know the the vert ramp is an unforgiving ramp and i just don't think it's a playground for a 50 year old anymore Although I ride, I do ride it when I'm at home. And I, see, I see it. I love it. Yeah, I, I'm I'm you know, still addicted to it. And I want to and I want to give you a compliment in the sense that the fact that you know the if the competitive side, you know, I don't know if that's even been said publicly that you're not going to ride another vert contest. But if that you've known that for a long time, and yet you still go to Woodward and and do a fucking. 540 lawnmower tap on a four foot ramp and have fun and you post fun clips and you're riding shit and eating shit and and riding vert and i like i think that just shows like the love that you have for it so i think that's like uh you know because sometimes when it's like a, not i guess like the miron thing once i'm done competing i'm done you mm -hmm. know i'm done riding you know and and he miron of course has shown up to there's been those spottings of miron riding a little bit here and there but like I think your love for BMX just like rings through in your everyday posting. You know, I'm like Jamie's out there fucking having fun. It's Wednesday. You know, like this dude kind of awesome. brings in like um, I did something a little something yesterday. Like um, I was with Nathan mm -hmm. and I told him I was coming here today. And Nathan Williams told me to tell you hello. And I asked <laughs> him if he had a question that he would like to ask you. Mm -hmm. Like I know it's kind of random, but it's no, kind of it's, cool. it's kind of like going hand in hand with what you're talking about yeah. now. But the question is, is like first he said tell Jamie I said hello and um he's like how have you gone about the later part of your career and was there a point that you told yourself I would want to be still riding at X age what age and or has it been flowing organically so it's like I guess he's asking like did you give yourself like a time period where you, when you would stop or like throughout the career have you just been going with it how you feel organically. I've been in a 40-year relationship with BMX. There's no time limit on it. <laughs> you don't find a significant other and go, I'm going to marry you, but when we're 50, we're done. Wow. <laughs> I mean, the divorce courts would just be lighting up left, right, and center. But, <laughs> you know, it, it's, BMX is never something that I've put a time limit on. Who am I to dictate what my interaction is with BMX? My love will always be the determining factor for BMX. You know, if I want to go ride my bike, I'm going to go ride it. If I want to do this trick, I'm going to do it. There's no time limit on it. I'm hoping 
that the day I take my dying breath, I am surrounded by my loved ones, like everybody wants to be. You, you, you want to be surrounded by the people that you love. And I hope I'm thinking about doing a tabletop <laughs> with the tire on my back, putting a dirty, great crystal mark on a brand new crispy white shirt, 14 feet over the height pole. And I hope if I have, if I have that, I've lived a good life mm. because that's why nothing should have a time limit. Things that you love shouldn't have a time limit. A time limit is a movie. A time limit is a parking meter. Yeah, BMX doesn't have a time limit. Wow. It doesn't. And and who are you to dictate that? You know, if if you really feel that you don't enjoy it anymore, you're going to move on to the next and find the next thing that you love. So, you know, you do that, but you'll always cherish your time in BMX. It'll never finish because it can't like those years are ingrained into you. You take them with you and they're the foundations of what built you as a person. They, they truly are. 100%. And I am so blessed that my dad bought me a bike when I was 10 years old and I grew up in BMX because I can't think of any other sport that has taught me so many valuable lessons in life and to mold me as a man. It, it, it's, I encourage BMX to anybody I meet and they might have their own opinions of it and they might see it for guys playing on kids' bikes, but it's just so much more than that. It is so much more than that. And real love never dies, you know? Whether you put the bike down, whether you sell the bike, whether you step out of the sport and go do something else, that love is always going to be within you. And it will always mold what you do next. You'll always take the passion of what you had for BMX into what you do next. So it can't leave you. It Beautiful can't. Time. You can't erase yeah. your life. Wow. Valid. Good question. Very, good question, yeah, Nathan. Good question, Nathan. Man. Nathan yeah. Williams. I like Nathan Williams. No. We always joked about the Nathan Williams and Corey Martinez Levi's flyaway hat. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, I that, about that. that. Is like yeah. for every street rider that does like a bunny hop. Mm -hmm. It's that, like <laughs> the hat flies off. <laughs> did you see? Did you see the clip of the seventy-five-year-old guy bunny hopping? I did. Yeah, yeah I thought that was. That was uh, I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, That's cool. a proof to obviously, what you were just saying. Obviously, like, obviously, I feel like he. I mean, he had to pick start riding at. You know, I mean, BMX hasn't been around 75 years, let alone. So he had to start riding either recently or 40 years ago, right? He might have been so, I mean, I he guess might 50, have been riding 60? for 65 years. I Who guess, knows? Yeah. yeah. Or he could have just been very think, athletic and just yeah. like, I'll think, try think this. A, think about all the people that you know throughout this pandemic that had ridden BMX Left the left the bike, and during the pandemic, came back to BMX, and bought a BMX bike. Yeah, yeah. You know whether it be a cruiser or a a, a, a repop of a a GT yeah. or a Harley oh, or anything so, yeah, like that. That's true. So yeah. many people have come back into it, and again, it goes back to that timeline thing. 
The yeah, love part is of them. Love's always, BMX is going to be a part of you. It's yeah. always in there and it's always going to come back to you and it's always going to transfer into what you do next. That love will always be there. Yeah. And I'm so happy that, you know, that the one good thing about this whole, I guess the silver lining about this whole thing is that, you know, people have chose bikes. Choose bikes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. BMX, you know, bike companies, uh, although, you know, there's a store, there is, you know, an, an alternate side to it. Bike companies have moved a lot of BMXs. And I'm happy to see that. A lot of my friends are in the BMX industry. They're moving bikes. They're, they have bike shops. They have bike distros. They're moving units. And that's great. Yeah, that is great. That's a good thing. What? So you brought up uh, the Olympics. We should definitely talk about okay. your role mm-hmm. there. I mean, I, I feel like I've been coached for the last hour but you i mean inspired yeah you know like in a sense like um i couldn't help but while you're talking thinking like wow having you on your side or having you on my side while i was about to drop in and getting words like that with like it has to have an impact on on guys like declan and and charlotte uh you know that experience how you got in there uh uh, what impact you felt you had what it meant for you i mean what was your like How did you like prepare to go into it? Like, yeah. the full range. Just give it the to full us. range. Yeah. Okay. Um, we started in 2018, and we all met at Daniel Des the skate park. Never and, heard of him. Um, no. Um, <laughs> nah, <laughs> uh, that guy is so overrated. He's just a set of pearly white teeth, and you know, a, a 18 pound bike that seems to do miraculous tail whips out of fresh air. I love Des. I love that. Very talented. Um, I, I love Logan. Yes. I, know, I know he's gonna. Yeah. I know he's gonna hear it. So that's why. Yeah, well, it'll, it'll be good. Yeah. Um, but no, we we all met in 2018, and um, you know, I saw the team, and uh, I wasn't a coach. I'm yes. I'm a guy still competing. Mm-hmm. I'm a guy still competing, and I'd never. You know, I'd never even thought about being a coach. And there's a difference between being a professional rider and a coach. And you try and hand down your years of wisdom to the riders and you try and steer them in a direction. But when you're still heavily involved in the sport, you know, you're trying to give 100% to your own riding career and you're trying to give 100% to coaching these new kids that are going to the Olympics, something bigger than anything we've ever been to before. Although I will say that before the Olympics, the X Games were the Olympics. Yeah. That was the Olympics. You win the X Games. And actually, the X Games was h- harder to get into than the Olympics. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so hard. Like, in the, the, the initial, you know, the, in the glory years, you had to go through so many contests mm-hmm. just to get your name on the roster for the X Games. Then you had to qualify. And it was like, I don't know, 30, 40 riders down to 10, then 10 to the final. So, you know, X Games was our Olympics. But, you know, all I was ever given was, you know, 25% to coaching, 75% to my riding. And I still had aspirations, even though they weren't, you know, producing gold medal performances anymore. I was still a professional. I, I... worked for you know i i mean i had my sponsors 
I still had a job to do for them and I still had to maintain the focus because vert riding is very unforgiving. Like I said earlier, the ramp will eat you alive. So, mm -hmm. you, you know, there, were, there was still a massive emphasis on what I wanted to get out of, of BMX. Um, but I was trying to help these guys and kind of steer them in the right direction. And, you know, when um, you're with a, an English team of riders and the initial group, uh, they'd had some success. Um, not a whole lot, you know, I mean, Alex Colburn was probably the best of the bunch mm -hmm. and, um, he was the, the, the number two that year at the feast events and he'd won a couple of contests here and there. So, uh, he was the standout, but everybody else was, they were unproven, really untested. Um, I would say mediocre is a good word to say for the UK team. Yeah. We, we weren't. Yeah. We weren't great. We weren't bad. Yeah. We were just good. I think I think if you were to tell me in 2018 that Declan would win a medal at the Olympics, I would be very surprised. Because De Declan is a he's a powerful rider. Like one of my favorite dudes yeah, because he's, he's a little, he was yeah. a little wild, yeah. you know? Like he yeah. like do those, you know, the subbox like big subbox manuals and yeah. stuff like that and kind of explode and yeah. I loved it. You know, I love that type of riding. Not yeah. the not no offense to anybody else, but like where you know the, the he could fucking eat shit at any moment type mm -hmm. type dude you know yeah. so and little known fact first time i ever saw declan he was hammered and he threw an apple at the wall in the hotel and it exploded everywhere and he got kicked out of the hotel nice one yeah <laughs> uh, not much has changed yeah. uh, <laughs> not much has changed uh, but, just, yeah it, so you guys had a you not yeah, not you a, guys weren't expecting yeah, yeah. we 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 weren't uh, an inherent threat to any podium mm -hmm. um per se so um here we are we we have this team and you know the girls that we have were very underconfident you know they they were coming from different backgrounds i wouldn't say they were um knowledgeable in bmx mm -hmm. um but they had potential and i saw declan before we all got together in north carolina at the uh the monster competition i forget the name of it recontour uh mm -hmm. over at south bend indiana uh brett banasay which is part mm -hmm. and i saw declan ride there and and the gaps and the lines he was taking mm -hmm. at brett's park even brett hadn't done them oh wow and I was like, wow, this this kid's special. First time I'd ever seen him ride. Uh, I knew he was from South Sea, and I visited South Sea Skate Park many, many years. Um, but, yeah, he was he was a special breed back then. But, you know, I would say 2018 wasn't a defining year for the program. Um, the f first contest we went to in Hiroshima was all right. Expectations were high on Alex being the number one and kind of the team leader at the time. And he, he fell a little bit by the wayside, even though he was in the final. Um, and the girl, you know, Charlotte, she did quite good, you know, to say she was um, a scooter rider, come BMX rider. Mm -hmm. And she was very inexperienced. And this was her first ever contest. She did amazing. Absolutely amazing. So you know, the the first contest in Hiroshima got off to a, a decent start. And then we really started making some massive mistakes after that. Mm. You know, BMX and old BMX started to rear its head. You know, you go to Montpellier, 
you don't have to have been living under a rock for 90 years to know that Montpellier is the biggest party mm-hmm. in BMX. Um, you know, we had Mark Webb on the team. We had uh, all these guys and, mm. you know, they'd be lying if they didn't say that they indulged in all the things that Fees had to offer on that weekend. Did Declan and, throw another apple? Uh, no, he didn't. Um but we literally went there with a squad of eight and no one made the final. Oh, wow. No. Right? That's not a good weekend. That's a terrible weekend. One guy ended up in hospital with a chipped elbow. I won't say who his name is from Wales, James Jones. And uh, everybody else just blew up. Yeah. And, you know, it was, um, that, that, was a, that was a big night. I, I actually nearly quit. Really? Yeah, I was like, why am I doing this? Like, for the who, same I'm I'm guessing for the same reason of the that hey, where we yeah. we've all we're all making sacrifices. Yeah. I'm here in France for you and you guys are fucking off. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like within that too, like um do you feel a bit of yourself um like wasting your time to a degree because you know how much help how much you've given up how many sacrifices you made and how hard like you push yourself and you devoted yourself to this was it hard to not hold everybody to like the same light of how you hold yourself yeah same level yeah 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 i get what you're saying um yeah um i think a lot of it was because i wasn't 100 percent into so there's there's a part of what happened in in the early contest that I'm to blame for too. You know, if you're not all in, then how can you expect to lead all in? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have to come from a, a coach's, uh, that's the place of leadership. You know, you're the one who rallies the troops. You're the one who, you know, uh, dictates, you know, what we do and when and how we do it. And... I wasn't doing that too, uh, and I was falling short. And maybe because we were all only putting twenty five percent in, and BMX, you know, as uh, as we all know, at some of the more um, party style events, can get a little out of control. We were all guilty of that, and we paid a severe price. And maybe that was our San Francisco moment, so to speak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a moment where I know I myself sat everybody down and gave everybody a bit of a bollocking, you know, and I said, hey, if you want another coach, by all means, go get one. Like, if you think, you know, if you think I'm some old guy that's just harping on about, you know, random stuff, then, hey, go get a young guy. You know, if you can relate to somebody better, then go get them. I'm like, because I feel like we're all not working very well together and we're all making mistakes. Um... And when we're really not understanding the opportunity that we're, we have right now, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to the Olympics. It's not going to be Montpellier. There's not going to be beer and crazy parties and Tyler Rizzi running around with a video camera going nuts. Like, it's not going to happen. Like, we've got to get professional and we've got to get professional very quick because that's what the UCI dictates and that's what the Olympics dictates. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, we we went away. Um, people trained. They, I think, the next one was in Canada. We had a little bit of success there with Charlotte, and then we all went to Chengdu. And 
you know, that's when Declan came back because Declan had a broken ankle uh, all year. So he missed uh, the first three events and then he came back in China and ends up getting third place behind Dennis. Mm-hmm. Jake Walwork won that won yeah. that one. It was a battle between Dennis mm-hmm. and Jake Walwork. And I'm telling you, that was some of the most insane riding I've ever seen. Yeah. You know, those two guys, you know, Dennis's natural ability pushed Jake far beyond any riding he thought he could ever produce and what he produced was just exceptional so you know Declan got third and um you know we were like right this is it this is the start this Absolutely, is the momentum is you the need start. to yeah. yeah uh so you know Declan went out all night celebrated like any true BMXer rolled in absolutely hammered and then didn't even qualify for the world championship so that just goes to show you because oh, because that was the one where there was the contest a week later, and then so Dennis got second, and then Dennis pieced out. Right, had a cold. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he got came down with a cold. Yeah, he's he's a, he's yeah. already explicitly said that he so. didn't get a cold, so you're good. Yeah, no, you know, <laughs> it, 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 honestly, like so much stupid shit happened that week. You know, right I think that was the beginning of kind of the Olympics, and, and, and to, to Dennis's thing was like, whoa, this is getting a little more serious, yeah. and I got in trouble for doing fakies on the course. And I know. I, yeah, I so know. it was like the the it, rules got a little weird for yeah, him. Yeah, it, it was bad, but you know, Declan got a little bit over exuberant with the celebrations mm-hmm. and it caused him not to qualify at the worlds a week later yeah. and um charlotte knocked herself out in practice oh. and amongst many other people that went down at that competition and it ended up ben wallace did the best out of everybody yeah. fifth Welcome place killed it yeah. absolutely killed it and i think it was just a a real reminder to everyone that you know <laughs> You can't take your eye off this game for a second. You can't revert back to what you thought worked before. You know, this this old BMX lifestyle isn't going to work in this new, um, you know, venue that we're being asked to compete in, which is the Olympics. The Olympics is so strict. I think anybody, you know, that's ever seen the Olympics sees the magnificence of what it is visually mm-hmm. and athletically, but they also know that there's absolutely massive consequences to anyone who tries to bend the rules mm-hmm. at the Olympics. No. There's a certain lifestyle that you have to adhere to, and maybe party time BMX isn't on that list of, of things. Not non-conformist BMX yeah. as well. Yeah, non-conformist, yeah. you know. Uh, hey, we're, we're freestyles. We'll do whatever we want. If I want to party till 3 a.m., I'm going to do it, yeah. you know. Um, if I want to ride the course right now, I want to ride the course right of now. Of course, like, yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. But, I mean, even even from a, you know, I was interested in going shooting the Olympics. I'm like, oh, I can't shoot video. Oh, I have to be in this little corral. Oh, yeah. I have to be. And I was like, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm out. Yeah, like, of course. It, the Olympics has so many rules and that was pre-covid yeah yeah. that's pre-covid so the olympics has so many rules that go far outside the athletic athletic abilities and requirements on course so 2018 was a huge learning curve um 2019 more the same we had some success we had some failures and we just kept learning and then obviously in 2020 and let's turn the lights off (laughs) and everybody got parked and the one thing that i did see around the world was riding didn't really stop for a lot of people going to the olympics um for anybody really as far as i as far as i could tell the english guys did 
everywhere got closed. Mm. You know, I used to be on the weekly Zoom calls where we used to do quizzes because we were trying to keep the guys engaged. And, you know, they were sat at home. They were quarantined and confined to the house. Skate parks were closed. Mm. They could not ride. But then you go on Instagram and everybody who's got their own little private Idaho at the house yeah. is is riding away and everything's grand and they're learning new tricks and oh, I'm having my best day, I'm living my best life, that kind of Instagram stuff. And I've got guys sat at home not, not able to ride and we've got to keep them happy and we've got to try and, you know, keep them stimulated, keep them focused and understand that this is just part of the process. So then the world comes back online and people can go to skate parks. And then I think at the beginning of 2021 is when I was done finally with everything I wanted to do in my BMX career. You know, there was no more X Games. And I just... Should I even go this deep? Fuck it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I would say working as a BMXer, working for a federation is interesting yeah. you know um with that with a federation comes its own set of rules and you know um much like on top of the vert ramp um you know there there is there's always going to be petty little arguments and office type crap that you know you have to deal with but you know uh, a team only works efficiently with a good leader mm -hmm. and um you know uh and and you need that in order to get the job accomplished. And yeah, I just felt that, you know, maybe after COVID, it was probably time for me to, I don't know, maybe I just didn't want to do this, you know? Yeah. I didn't want to go to the Olympics. And maybe the things that were happening, you know, um, you know, in and around the program, I just wasn't super comfortable with, um, you know, the, the, I would knock heads with people. You know, because I'm on the other side of the world, zooming in to meetings and to riding sessions, and it it really wasn't doing anything for me. It didn't light my world on fire. Yeah. I didn't feel like I was of any value. I wasn't contributing. You know, it was all very too distant. The, the yeah, distance was just, just too much. Everything was too distant. Um, but when the world comes back online, you know, airplane travel is so convenient. Mm. You know, you I can be back in England. Yeah, I can leave my house at seven at night. I can be there at nine a.m. in the morning. Mm -hmm. That's how convenient the world is these days. But in twenty 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 one, there was a there was a moment on a call, and I I got really frustrated, and um, I said, "Well, you know, I kind of made a choice. I was like, well, I'm either in or I'm out. I'm leaving this program, or I'm staying on, and I am going to get these guys to.'" fulfill their goal mm -hmm. we'd always talked about it what the goal was i do, knew what it was do you mind if i ask like what the frustration is it kind of like choice heavy choices that are being made or just kind of like just day to day no you know just in a nice way i would say that every everybody looks at a coach's job as the most glamorous role in in the mm -hmm. office mm-hmm Everybody wants to be that guy that gets the pat on the back. They want to have the relationship with the riders. They want to be the one that, you know, when their name's up in lights, that they turn around and go, if it wasn't for my coach, Jamie Beswick, I wouldn't be here right now. You know, that, th they think that that is like the ultimate payoff. No, that's ego. 
you know, you just want somebody to stroke your ego. Um, coaching is a thankless job, hands down. It's yeah. the most thankless thing I've I've ever been involved in. Um, so you know, there was. Uh, I wrote a name. Is this the name? <laughs> uh, uh, yes. All right. Um. So. Every, you know, it was almost like, uh, you, you, what a dick. Uh, uh, so basically, n we all had to stay in our lanes. And, and, and that's sometimes hard for people to do because, yeah. you know, we, we, we all didn't know what we were doing. Yeah, we were a part of this governing body that had many, many, many experiences of going to the Olympics. But as a BMX freestyle problem, we, we were all learning. We're all so green. And so everybody kept veering over into each other's lanes and it wasn't working and, and, and we're all over the place. And the minute we streamlined, shit started happening. Yeah. Shit started happening. And I got the guys to come out and, and live with me and the family at the beginning of 2021. And they pretty much stayed there all year. Um, and if I, they wasn't with me, we were traveling together. And if we weren't traveling together, we were in England for two months and we were doing that. And um, who's who's the team at this point? Obviously, Declan and Charlotte and Ben, ben Wallace. Ben Wallace, James Jones, uh, Alex would come out, and um, yeah, that was that was another, everybody. Another woman? No, it was just Charlotte. Just Charlotte. All okay. our eggs were in okay. Charlotte's basket. Okay. So, um, you know, so there was uh, that was the team. Um, the house was a little rammed at times, but hey ho, you know, it was um, that it was for the goal and. You know, I just built this environment in those eight months that was conducive to getting us to exactly where we needed to go. Mm -hmm. And I would, to, to be fair, the the eight months prior to achieving what we did in Tokyo was basically convincing the riders on an idea of winning mm. and and how we get there. And this is what we have to do. And this is what we're going to need. And of course, there were things that happened along the road that we, you know, we, we didn't foresee happening, but we always had to find a plan to work around them. And riders crash. Declan hit his head in France, got knocked out. Mm -hmm. Bad one. Charlotte dislocated her shoulder three weeks before the Olympics. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, probably not too many people know about that. Maybe Charlotte's put it out there a few times, yeah. but maybe people weren't just reading. Well, I, yeah. I noticed she, her, she was hurt during the Nora Cup video. Like when she got the cup, she, her, her arm was in a sling. Popped her shoulder again. Same one. Yeah. Then. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. So she popped, she popped her shoulder in North Carolina when we were out, out there at Daniels Park, and then she popped it again three weeks before the Olympics. And... I literally had to work I had to build runs around one what they were comfortable doing um and two you know their their, their ailments hmm. you know and and the shoulder was was that thing for Charlotte so the eight, the eight months leading into it were basically uh a, a lesson in convincing brainwashing two individuals that they can get to the podium and that they can win and they can they can fulfill their their dreams. So making them believe they were winners. Yes. And and that it was a reality and that if the work will pay off essentially. Yes. Interesting. And believe in the plan. Yeah. There was always a plan. Yeah. And the plan I kind of in the in 
I guess it was three years ago, you know, when Hannah really took off and there was no signs of Hannah ever not winning. Mm -hmm. um, I just took some lessons that I'd learned over the years against Dave Would you Dave say Mirror. she was the Jamie Beswick of women's park riding? If you want to go that, I mean, <laughs> if, if you want to say that, that's a tremendous honor because Hannah is hands down the most decorated female athlete yeah. of all time. Yeah. There's yeah. no dispute in that. Yeah. Uh, nobody even comes close. Yeah. Um, but I did notice that, you know, that some of the things that I'd done in my own career, you know, just observing riders and things that David taught me about the art of competition, I started I started looking at people a little differently and I started to try and, you know, to, to build a strategy of how do you beat a rider like that? Mm -hmm. You know, she's the Dave Mirror of, you know, she's Charlotte Worthington's Dave Mirror, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, well, not even like Charlotte's not even in the picture at this point. Yeah, you know it's Paris. Paris has given Hannah a run for her money, and so is Lara, and so is Nikita. Um, but how do you beat a powerhouse like that? And I figured out this. I figured out this plan about three years ago, and I was pretty adamant that's the only way you can do it. And the only way to do it is Charlotte can't get too big too soon. Mm. she can't otherwise gigs up you know all of a sudden you're a contender when Hannah's winning by six points over second place mm -hmm. come on yeah yeah it's not even a contest at this so she point was, so you straight up planned on her being a sleeper yeah that's crazy that was the, yeah, I mean, that's the only way she could win yeah it's the only way she could win because yeah, yeah, she'd had some success. She'd had some first places, and she was European champion and British champion. But the European contest, she was only going up against a, a couple of people, and it was people that she could get ahead of at the World Cups. But she couldn't even get close to Hannah, mm -hmm. and that was a testament to how much work Hannah was doing and how she was just increasing the level of her own riding. But when it came to the Olympics, I knew that if Hannah rolled in there unbeaten that was the end mm -hmm. that right there is the end but in order to beat someone who is unbeaten that you know is going to lay down an absolute heater of a run you better have you better have a few aces in your back pocket so that's what i went about doing and well she put the front flip was out there because she didn't front flip at another event Right, she did. She did yeah. it at the World Championships, and it got a third place. And then, the, but the three sixty flip that never been no. put out, and even that it was a realm of possibility for her. No, no, we 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 kept that one on the DL. Um, but when you look at the front flip coming out, the rest of the run that she did didn't light the world on fire. Mm -hmm. So if you're the number one in the world, winning by it country mile and even if someone's got a front flip you're still looking at them like yeah that's amazing like you just front flip the box maximum respect for that i can do them at home mm -hmm. um and I'll, I'll probably bring it to the olympics and I, that'll give me something to work on amongst other tricks that i'm doing but you're not looking at that person as that girl's gonna that girl's gonna scoop mm -hmm. the prize away from me and when, you know, when we went to work in England, um, the whole time that, that was the only thing I could see was, you know, focus on the run, concentrate on the run, build a run that nobody else would even think about 
putting together. And it wasn't something that was going to be trick heavy because she was injured. And there was only so much she could do. When you think about it, Charlotte's run had a flip over the spine, a front flip, a 360 flip, and a flare. Mm. See Hannah's run? Yeah. Hammer, 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 nonstop, bang, 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 all the way to the end. It was a 96.1, right? Mm. Highest score ever in a Feast World Cup. Uh, world championships and now it's the highest score for men and women in olympic history how the hell do you beat that you don't you can't and that's what i relied on you know hmm. i relied on everybody seeing that score come in and all of a sudden you can hear the champagne corks flying off in everybody's head mm -hmm, mm -hmm. gold medals already around the neck the uh, the parties back home and the this and the that and the adverts and you know the you know the watch the the watch sponsorships coming in and uh, hi I'm such and such and I am on the box of Wheaties and yeah. it's like you you know uh, and don't get me wrong I know this from experience yeah I've been that person that's had visions of grandeur at the moment where I'm like this score isn't going to get beaten tonight and then if somebody comes in with a better plan than yours even if they don't have the magnitude of tricks that you do, but the run is significantly smoother, more dynamic, more mm. flowing, and it looks like BMX at its finest with some world first tricks in there. Mm -hmm. Can't can't count that run out. Yeah, that in, that impact. You know, like it's not it's not conscious, of course. Like, but that impact of that trick being stomped out of nowhere. Yeah, it, right. it, it does. It it affects the score from an individual who was never even seen as a contender. Yeah. yeah. All of a sudden, it's like the planets aligned. Yeah. And Charlotte brought this run together and it was everything everybody wanted to see from yeah. female BMX at that point. They wanted to know that this wasn't a one horse race anymore. Yeah. There was a there was another horse. And that's that's what we brought to the table. We we brought Charlotte with a run and you know, I, I wouldn't let her look at the scores. I wouldn't let her watch anybody's runs. Um, we'd gone over everything um, when we were in England. You know, this is how you enter the course. This is how you exit the course. You ha you guys had a course, right? Yeah, we had a yeah. course. Yeah, okay. they, they built one. Yeah. A little different, but, you know, pretty much the same. 90% there. Yeah. But it was, you know, it was I was thinking back to in my own career, like, the things where I went wrong and the things that judges didn't appreciate that led me to make the change to get a better score. Yeah. Mm. Whether it did or not, it in my head, I was like, this is important because they don't appreciate this. Over-exuberance after a run, throwing your bike and all that crap, wah, you know, this, that, and that. It's great. Everybody should celebrate, absolutely. However, when you put the biggest rundown in history, sometimes, and you can take this one out the Dave Mirror playbook, riding out the course with a smile and one hand in the air like that is all you need. Hmm. Less is more. Yeah. And it was effective. Uh, you and don't have to tell everybody you're the greatest if you're the greatest. Yeah. yeah. And sh when she put that final flare down, I couldn't see it, and I'm always worried about it every time she does a flare because... Good God, that trick is there, Achilles heel. But um, <laughs> she pulled the flare and I was waiting and I saw her head come around the corner. And I was like, 
it's over. Fuck yeah. It's done. That was a moment, man. That uh, was like, yeah. that was a moment. I mean, I like, it, it was a, a cool thing to see from my computer over there. You yeah. know, I could hardly imagine being there. You know, not, you know, it, yeah. it, 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 it is a bummer that it, you know, that it wasn't the full Olympic experience, you know, but. But what but, is the full Olympic experience? Yeah, I mean, the, like, you know, the crowd. The crowds, and yeah, stuff but, like that, but. You, you know, in the height of competition, you can't even hear them anyway. True. True. You can't. No. Um, but I mean, but either, yeah, either I, way, I it, it was still, it, you know, just from from the distance of seeing, you know, they're looking for people in the crowd, you know, like a, a, to, to cheer and stuff like that, just for television and all that. Worst but. thing you can do as a competitor, look into the crowd. <laughs> I told all my guys, yeah. don't look for allies in the crowd. Yeah. You won't find any. Yeah. Like, worst place you can look. Look inside yourself for the run. Get it done. That's all you got to do. And, you know, so maybe people can look at it as like they didn't get the full Olympic experience. But was that another feather in our hat to why it worked? Because it kept our guys calm. Maybe. Yeah. Kept them focused. Yeah. They didn't have 10,000 screaming Japanese fans and people from around the world yelling for them. Like they maybe that was something that worked in their favor. And, sure. you know. I'm, I'm thankful for everything that happened that week because um, I kept a pretty tight ship. I, I felt like I did a good job. And every day I had a game plan going into practice. And after we finished every day, we would we'd always do the same thing. And we would just go debrief and we'd just go chill out. And I spent so much time with those guys. I felt like I, I never left their side. Yeah. Would there be particular tricks that you would have them not do in practice? Or oh, was yeah, it... every practice was structured. Mm. Every practice was structured. This day you do this. And I'm, I'm, the reason why I'm sharing all this is, you know, and, and you, you might be looking at me like, oh, you don't, you know, you don't want to say this because what if Team USA is listening to this and they implement it next time? It doesn't matter. It's over. Yeah. Like, this shit ain't going to ever work again. We can't. <laughs> <laughs> no longer can we fly under the radar. Yeah. Right yeah. now, you know, uh, those two individuals have a massive sign on them. And one says gold, one says bronze. Yeah. Come get me. Yeah. You know, I'm and just here. like you said before, even with yourself competing, you have to go back and do the work yourself. Like, you and your team and every, you have to dig deep and remind yourself of, like, of your why. Yeah. You know, why you do this or... If you do want to be better, you have to really train harder than you did before, even when you were at the top. So it's like the next time this come around, it's like hopefully that whatever plan you have, but also the work that you put in like pays off. But you can only go off of that. Right. Yeah. So. yeah. And, and the interesting thing about all this is, you know, when I actually felt like I became a coach this year, because th there was a transformation. I, I reached a point where I said, look, I. I'm either doing this or I'm leaving. And if I'm doing it, I have to be 100% in and I have to peak on the exact same day as I'm asking my riders to peak, which is August the 1st. Mm -hmm. And I just went to work and I, I worked very hard and I sacrificed uh, just as much for them as I did in my own career. And we 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 got the uh, the end result, but it it won't work again. That plan won't work again. It's it never will, and you can try and replicate it, but the gig's up. Yeah, it absolutely is. However, moving into the next phase of their competitive lifestyles, 
I have so much more to teach these guys because you've gone from San Francisco to winning your first gold medal. Mm -hmm. And now everything's changed. And now it's like, it's like that thing we're talking about with professional sponsorship. You've arrived. Now the work, now you you've arrived. Mm -hmm. Now we get to work on the real work. This is the party that you came to. Okay, this is the this is the invite you always wanted to be in. This is where the biggest lessons are going to be taught. This is where you're going to hone in your craft as a, a a competitive rider, and this is where I get to give you all my years of competitive knowledge, good and bad. I know every flipping scenario because I've been involved in them all against all the best riders in the world. I get to give you that now and I get to give it to you at a time when you're in a position that like you were before, you've never been in, but we gave you a set of tools to get to this position. Now you need a new set of tools to go run with it mm. for you to go start the next chapter in your career as a BMX rider and to, you know, to, to lay out your legacy within the sport has, has winning. I feel like, from the outside looking in the impact of the the gold medal and the bronze medal has had a tremendous effect on their life. I feel like they're doing these interviews and they've got all these like things happening, these public the the clip of Declan going down walking down the street and just like shooting photos with people and stuff and he was a, like a hero. You know, where yeah. like where Logan won it, but I think also, unfortunately, the the COVID effect in in Australia, there's just Two a weeks, lot more strict, yeah. so he can't, he couldn't like revel in it, and he and I still think there's all these like restrictions, so he can't like necessarily do all these appearances. But from the from on the English side, it's been like it, it to to me, it's looked crazy, and I and I wasn't there some, uh, well, I mean, I I reread your Albion interview before this. <laughs> And you had a quote in there that says England doesn't give a shit about action sports. So has that changed a little bit since, at least in the sense of, of what you've experienced? Yeah, 100%. No? Is that, I mean, directly impact of the of the Olympics, you think? Yeah, 100%. No. Um, you know, the, the, the standout sport at this year's Olympics was BMX, hmm. racing and freestyle. Mm-hmm. The fact that yeah, the racer racer was English too, right? Yeah, won gold mm -hmm. on the yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So they won gold in female and they got silver. That's so sad. In, I don't even know her name. In uh, uh, Bethany Shriver. Okay. And Kai White. Kai got White got yeah. silver. Um, so we littered the the podium yeah. for BMX freestyle and BMX racing. So, and it was so exciting to see, and the stories of the individuals were so, you know, kind of close to home that people have embraced them, and yeah. I mean, they're celebrities in England. They absolutely are, you know. Um, and, you know, like every everybody that gets an Olympic medal, like next year, they'll be, their the names will be cemented in history by the Queen. They'll probably get a knighthood, really? something like that. Yeah. Uh, oh, it happens to all the Olympic medalists. Yeah. Like they get, I don't know, MBE, OBE, or you know, if you become Dame, you know, you get the knighthood, Dame or Sir, you yeah. know, it's... Uh, it's insane what, what the UK does for uh, Olympic athletes. And, you know, the, the morning after, I can remember, you know, um, we were in the, uh, the, the condos we were staying in at the Olympic Village and we were talking and I said, 
you, you do realize your lives are never going to be the same again. Your lives are going to change forever. And I think they kind of looked at me like, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm sure, yeah, you know, chill, we'll, chill, we'll, chill. we'll do something. Yeah. But I don't, I don't even think that they anticipated the the reception that they that was waiting for them in England. I mean, they lit. I mean, they they're literally on TV every other week, and they're opening this, and they're doing that, and they're interviewed here, and they're interviewed there, and it's. And it's nice because, you know, um, what they've managed to do in one Olympics has eclipsed what the rest of us have tried to do in 30 years. Mm. Like the impact that I've made on the UK in my 30 years of riding and 13 gold medals and 10 this, what the other... Mm. It's not even made, made an impression, but one Olympic Games can change a country. That's crazy. And that's what's awesome about it. And I'm, you know, I'm very proud that I've been a part of that. And, you know, uh, and also it, it ties back into, again, you know, I'm very proud because I stood on the shoulders of uh, my BMX community, both in England and around the world, to give those guys the knowledge that has been handed down to me over the years from from many, many people that have helped me out, that have ridden with me, that have progressed English BMX or World BMX in some way, shape or form to better serve those two individuals to fulfill their goals. To put them on your shoulders. And to put them on my yeah. shoulders, yeah. 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 So that's an awesome thing. Hell yeah, Jamie. I, I feel like I could ask more questions, but I don't know if you... If, just go. Well, uh, what's the time limit on these podcasts? There, there is no time limit. I am getting a little bit of. I was supposed to be there, be somewhere at twelve thirty, which is a half hour ago. So whatever. But um, put it this way: there's a lot of stuff on this podcast that I've never said to anybody. Yeah, I. I mean, so I, you may you, as well squeeze it all out of me you now. Mean, you I'm probably you, never you going to do a podcast yeah, ever again. You essentially, sorry, mustache man, whatever other <laughs> podcast you did. No, I know it was, it was good. It was more um, talk about gravel stuff. That's cool. I don't even know what that is. Um. Well, I guess the I had re- relating to Olympics. So the the direct impact that it had was uh, the cycling, British cycling is is bringing in an influx of dollars correct into the into the bmx program i I thought i saw something announced like that oh yeah yeah um i think um they had an uh an outside sponsor donate a million dollars to uh bmx freestyle um and the promotion of it and development programs of it in the in the coming years yeah i think uh i I did get that press release too. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I, I would think yeah. you have some sort of insider knowledge, though. Um, no, I got not, that press release. Too. No, 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 I don't. I, I, honestly, I, I don't have too much insider knowledge to um, these things. What I mean, I guess just I'm trying to I'm trying to pull what sort of impact the Olympics has had directly. You know, like kind of to the naysayers. Now that it's done. Because uh, because before the Olympics, uh, you know, I've I've even said like I believe the Olympics needs BMX more than BMX needs the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Still, essentially, believe that. But you know, 
to the people who have opposed or had negative things to say about BMX being in the Olympics, what positives, now that it's done, what positives have there been? Um, and maybe you don't, you're not the right person to ask that question I, to. I, I don't I, know. I'm but, probably not. Yeah. You know, um, I, I would say that, you know, the, the performances of the people that meddled from England have brought a lot of hope and inspiration to the BMX community. Mm -hmm. um, the BMX community is very proud of them. Um, they seem to have dispelled all the naysayers, although you're always going to find you one or two hanging on for dear life. But, you know, it, it's really changed people's perspective of BMX. Um, they no longer see it as many did before the years of the X Games, as delinquents riding mm -hmm. bikes. Mm -hmm. You know, now they see it as something uh, to be inspired by, to build a career, um, that it's a path for people that don't want to do team sports and want to, that have a creative mind and that can channel it in the most creative and amazing ways are now the world's biggest platform, which is the Olympics. So it has, it's done, it's done a, n a number of things and it's also opened up so many doors for many other people. Um, you know, and, and it's also given a lot of riders that are looking to be the next breed of Olympic riders that hope that with hard work and, and, and you know, with a lot of self-belief that they can, you know, they can stand on the podium at the Olympics because, you know, uh, a team of ragtag individuals that weren't looked as contenders, you know, did the uh, Cinderella fairy tale story? Definitely. Do you uh, next Olympics is in three years, like two years? Two. It seemed like two because and a half they're, years. they're still keeping the same timeline. So yeah, twenty twenty four. Twenty twenty four. So not four years, but three years. Three apart. years. Yeah. Um, freestyle still in. Yeah. Obviously, is there? I mean, I mean, how good does BMX have to do for it to be street or dirt or? vert or flat you know like what i think flatland's in in 20 oh really yeah nice more news i don't know uh, yeah i'm pretty sure <laughs> I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure it's uh it, it, it's either in or it's uh, an exhibition event okay um it's just a matter of time isn't it i, I would think so you know once yeah once the uci can can really figure out how to stage yeah all the events together it's what the people want. It's what the kids want. Yeah. You know, don't get me wrong. I love watching track and field. Um, I love watching gymnastics. I love watching diving and swimming. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. But I like the one do, where they but go does down. It, the, they have the skiing and they shoot stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. Telemarket. Telemarking, is it? I, I don't know. Anyway, um, but is that what today's generation want to see? Or is that what the exiting generation have always accustomed yeah. the Olympics with? Yeah. You know, and I can't say that, you know, people get, um, you know, a lot of satisfaction out of certain things that are hanging on at the Olympics these days. Um, that they, they don't do it for me. And I'm somebody who got excited about that years ago. Now I want to see more youthful things. Yeah. I, I want to see more street cultured sports get the credit that they deserve. Uh, and BMX Freestyle has literally made a massive statement to not only UCI, the Olympic Committee, but to the world that 
hey, this is the way forward. And too, on top of all that is like, I had this conversation with, um, this had to be like over a year ago with a gentleman at GT about BMX and skateboarding. And he was, he wasn't going against what I was saying, but he made the point about like, BMX not being a lifestyle, but skateboarding is. And I was like, well, if anything's a lifestyle, it'll be bike riding because every single person knows how to ride a bike. If they don't, they probably can in a few minutes. Yeah. So with, with hearing that, it's like, well, bike riding in general is so relatable. And to see it represented on such a high level, it do kind of spark something. Every other person is like, oh, I, I completely know what this is. I may not know what the trick is, but I get it. Like, yeah. I can relate to this. Not everybody's fast. You know, not everybody can throw a javelin. Not everybody can do a high jump. Not yeah. everybody can jump, like, how many ever feet. Yeah. But one thing you can't relate to is riding a bike. So it brings a sense of nostalgia to the person watching it. So with that, it seems like it has, like, a, a thing that can stand the test of time. And where if it's in Olympics, then it's automatic in your head. You want to watch it because you want to see what's being done on a bike. Yeah. No. I think it'll be interesting. I mean, where's the next Olympics? Paris. Paris. Don't know anything. No. I, I, I'm very knowledgeable about Jason Culver jumping around that stair set in yeah. the ocean side. It's in 16 pa- years it, ago, but I don't know Paris. how it's in three yeah. years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, in, it's in Paris. And it, it, you know what? The, the French will do such an amazing job of the Olympics in Paris. And um, it'd be cool to go. Yeah. It would be cool to go. And uh, I will say to the freestyle competitive world, um, watch out for Anthony John John. Yeah. Yeah, he's a weapon. That kid is yeah. special. Yeah. Well, I think I'm already like 45 minutes late. I do have another question. Oh, that okay. Help sum this yeah, up. Okay. Yeah. To anybody that will watch this or you know catch it whenever they catch it, do you have anything that words of inspiration? Um, things that people can incorporate on the day to day, like whatever whatever it is that you can think of that you would want to share with people. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, the, there's, there's always the things that, you know, I always remind myself of in, in, in anything that I, I take to is, you know, just have fun and, um, and enjoy it and do what you love, you know, and BMX is one of those things that, um, I, I've given my love to over the years and I've enjoyed and it's led me to other genres of, of bike riding. You know, road biking, mountain biking, gravel riding. And, you know, those communities are, are no different to BMX. They're, they're, they're very warming. They embrace you. And uh, it's all about love and a good time and, and sharing the common bond of, of riding a, a two-wheel bicycle. Um, but, you know, I think the biggest question in life, you know, is, you know, f- for anybody is, you know, what, what do we need? You know? Actually, I'll rephrase that. What do you want? I think everybody in life kind of meanders through not really knowing what they want. So what is it that, you know, what is it that you want? And when you can figure out what you want, then you'll start to ask yourself, well, what do I need? You know, if, if, I, want, if I want this, then what do I need to do to get it? And then, you know, that sets you off on your journey. And uh, if it's, I want to ride a BMX bike like that girl, and I want to do that trick, 
well, what do I need? Well, first half, I need a bike. And then I need to learn how to ride it. And then I need to learn how to ride skate parks. And then I need to build a community of friends that will embrace me and push me and inspire me and nurture me to to go on and and you know fulfill my want yeah and uh you know i think that's questions we ask every day you know but sometimes we never you know find the right path to to fulfilling it you know my wants are different to yours they're different to ryan's but when you ask yourself you know God, I really want to do that. What do you need to do it? So go out and find that, find that path. Find what it's going to take to to get you to fulfill your goal and um, enjoy the process. Have fun. It's so funny because you say that all the time on the how-to videos. Enjoy the process. You have to. Yeah. (laughs) It's like yeah. It it is. Everything's a journey. Yeah. And honestly, like, if we'd have done this interview. 10 years ago, I don't think I'd be as like, I don't know whether it's philosophical or like introspective or yeah, yeah life coachy, you know, all this crap. Um, Dude, you're an, you're, you're an inspirational guy. Like, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm saying, I, I feel like, uh, you know, like next time I'm like demotivated, I'm going to hit you up, you I, know, I, in, in reality, like, I feel like, like I'm in a different place. Yeah. Um, and, and I know that, you know, I've got some hard questions to ask myself in the road of life, and I've got to find my own way of uh, fulfilling those goals and and um, you know and and living with with decisions that will will come up and making plans and and and, and making sure that you know I'm still enjoying my life, but I am I'm I'm in a very different place, and I think. Maybe this is just, you know, was was the person that I always wanted to be that I would never allow myself to be because I was so invested in a competitive side of BMX where you you don't want to give anybody the impression that you really don't have it under control. Yeah. You know, you're constantly trying to be that there's the a guy that there's a little scratch on the armor. Yeah, yeah. Um, and. You know, I I appreciate it, and you know the things I've done in bike riding have have definitely humbled me. Uh, the relationships I've kept and the relationships I've lost have molded me, and I'm always I'm always learning. There's always something to learn, and I'm always looking. I'm always looking at at, at others. Um, you know, to for inspiration, but I'm also never forgetting that I have to keep moving forward and I have to keep trying my best and to be a better version of myself every day because I'm still stood on the community, the the giants yeah. that came before me and I and I and I have a, a duty to, you know, to keep being an awesome person for them and to to keep, you know, keep all the work that they did alive and and knowing that it's going to be passed on to 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 more and more people in the future that'll lead them to to their own success and and hopefully they'll reflect back and see where you know where their own success came from yeah 
and it continues on and on and on and it continues on and on and on and on and on and that's the beauty of life give back thank you jamie yeah seriously seriously yeah that was educational Inspirational. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely, yeah, man. I appreciate it. And uh and do you want to thank any of the brands that still support you? I mean, I, I think it, it's important to to lay those out there because it have, is. Yeah, because Yeah, you know, I just want I, I want to thank you know, the brands that I'm with today, you know, Monster Energy, Toyota, Alpine Stars, Standard, uh, Profile, um um whoever I can't. Oh shit! Shit! Woodward, Woodward <laughs> Cam. How can I forget Woodward Cam? I I work for them. I ride there every day. I just forgot about Woodward Camp. But you know, again, I'm only I'm only with this group of of incredible brands because of the opportunities I got initially. Yeah. The early brands. So again, it's standing on the shoulders of giants. Like those brands were the best at that time. And they just kept kept pushing me and steering me towards doing bigger and better things, and it's led to more and more opportunities. And I'm I'm so grateful for anybody, um, you know, any team manager, any person that ever gave me a bike part, pumped my tires up, gave me a tube, gave me a piece of advice, gave me a ride, gave me a sandwich, gave me some money for gas, a seat in a bar, you know, truck. Um, seat in a Baja truck, um, every opportunity. Um, that anybody's ever given me i'm i'm so thankful and anybody who actually believed in me enough to want me to ride for their brand um uh, yeah i i mean you're a part of my success too this is not an i this was always a we and uh i will never forget that for the rest of my life and uh even to the agents um uh, who i've worked with over the years and i'm still really really good friends with and and so many team managers that took a chance on me i I have to thank you and for every time i was stood on that podium um regardless of who i was with at the time that victory was as much yours as it was mine because we're a combined effort and like i told my athletes um You'll never be alone when you're on the course. It's always strength in numbers. Mm-hmm. The people are around you. That's your team. And you'll never be alone. And know that. Because, you know, competitive world can be a lonely place. And like you said earlier, it's lonely at the top in whatever you do. Who sang that? Um, you always yeah. got to watch. <laughs> the people around you. The people around you. It's from but, Mira. From Mira so yeah, it's fuck, from... Who was it? Um, not gangsters. It is gangsters. It is gangsters. Yeah, it's gangsters. And you know what? It 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 can be lonely at the top. If you, but that's just a perception. You know, if you've got great people around you, if you've got the right people in your corner, if they're all in the direction of your goal, what you want, and they are backing what you need, and they're there to help you, then. You got strength in numbers, my friend. You got a lot of people behind you, and you should never forget that. And I, I've never forgot that. And I'm to this day, I am eternally grateful for any help anybody's ever given me. Oh yeah, thank you, Jamie. Yeah, thank you. You're the man. Yo, <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> Merry, Christmas. Merry Christmas. Go watch. Uh, go watch some BMX. Yeah. Yeah.
Go ride BMX instead. Ride, yeah. <laughs> but go to at BMX first and watch all the BMX. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah all plug, the BMX. Plug, 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 plug. Yeah. By the way, there's been some absolute hammers on the on the gram on just the gram, lately. Really? Yeah. yeah. I've been yeah. trying. Well, I, I took like a two week break from posting on Instagram. So it was all Busy other guy. people. I, I came back in the last couple of days. Not my, that it was all me, but like saying in the last few days, I'm like, oh, I should fucking post again. My favorite one was uh, I can't remember which rider it is, but he's the guy who does. The nose press up the steps. Oh, oh that cast bar, dude. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. one. Yeah. I, s- yeah. I swear. I Honestly, another... he could have a show in Vegas like David Copperfield. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how is it even possible? But it's like, yeah. anything is possible. But until you yeah. see somebody do it, it's like, wow. I tell like, you I tell you who's doing real good at the minute. Bryce Tryon. That kid's, kid's making amazing. some moves. Amazing. That is. Mm-hmm. He's making some moves. Yeah. I, I like that kid a lot. I always felt like his style of riding he, he hadn't quite refined it yet but now he's he's, he's starting to click mm-hmm. he's starting to figure it out and uh i wish good things for that kid in the future and malot too those guys out in arizona now they uh lake havasu mm-hmm. now they have their uh-huh. own ramps yep yeah holy I just, moly i went to you went yeah to i went there for two the, days yeah. yeah and he he did he's i mean i guess it's on the same vein but uh i'd never seen he has the apple watch and he knows his sustained heartbeat. So he, you know, he, he's always glancing at his Apple Watch. And after filming him for a couple hours, I'm like, what are you, are you looking at your heart rate? And he's like, yeah, it's, I forget the exact number, but like at 140, I can go all day or something like that. I don't know what the exact yeah. heartbeat was. He's like, if I get up to like 170, I need to chill and get it back down there. Yeah. And, but I can sustain 140 all day. I can ride all day. And I'm yeah. like, wow. I'm like. I'm fucking dying over there holding the camera, holding the gimbal, you know, yeah. <laughs> like skating yeah. or whatever. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, like I, uh, it's a whole other, it's an athlete, you know? And he, yeah. he, we were, I was supposed to be there for two days and, and he, uh, he did everything he wanted in two. So I came home. Wow. So yeah. it was like, I don't, that didn't happen, you know? Yeah. And so yeah, he's true. supposed to come out for another two days and next week or something, literally yeah. next Thursday. So wrap and, the video up. And that's what today's competitive world is is steering everybody towards it's it's all data now it's all data driven and you know when you do see uh the numbers like that and what you can sustain for longer period of times that that their goals you know that's you've like what do i need to do to in order to maintain a one minute run at a high level intensity of riding keep my heart rate at 140 Mm -hmm. wow nuts jd so yeah that's shit that i don't understand (laughs) yeah yeah